Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, and this is episode 308. I am joined, not by my co-host Prez, who is tired from his draft week escapades, uh, so he has the day off, but I am joined by longtime frequent guest of the pod. His name is Jeffrey Rasmussen, that is at FrankBarrett119 on Twitter, Jeff how are you doing on this eh, overcast, rainy Friday afternoon, evening? I'm doing good. We've actually faded. I'm down in South Carolina, and I swear, I was. this is my last week in South Carolina before I go out to Vegas. And um, Well, actually, I'm going up to you guys for a little bit for a wedding, but then I'm going out to Vegas. And I was trying to get some golf in and said rain all week, and... We haven't seen rain once. I swear to God, on the forecast, it said rain like over 50% every day. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to play it all. But I've been able to play golf like every day. So it's pretty nice down here. That's, that's good. That's the good life. Um, yeah, it hasn't been like constant rain. It just like rains a little bit each day, which is annoying. But um, nobody's here to listen to us talk about the fucking weather, though. Uh, but before we get started, do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. Actually, no, that's not how I start this ad read. What am I doing? The Patriot, or sorry, the Strickland has an Instagram which you can subscribe to. That would be a huge help to us. We are on there at the Strick.land on IG. Give us a follow. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you have not done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise, which is available on our website. We have sweatshirts, we have hats, we have t-shirts, we have coffee mugs, water bottles, you name it, we've got it. Again, that is on our website. And now, finally, the Strickland does have a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a six-star tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag. Hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. You also get access to Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There is a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier. And a hundred dollar tier that's come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. Not necessarily possible without you. And finally, this pod is also brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your championship finals info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, and the latest match reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball and hockey to MLB, UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. 
Get into the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Um, all right. I mean, I guess we'll start with the draft, even though the Knicks didn't do anything. The Knicks did nothing. The Knicks did not make a draft pick. And I guess we can start with that, like, I don't know. How did you feel about them not making a draft pick? Because I saw a lot of people, Knicks fans, anyway, um, very upset about that. And, like, I wanted them to make a pick. I just, I, I don't know if I should be curious about it. And, like, I just gotta say, I find the whole, like, what is, what are they doing? Are they sleeping? Do they, are they, like, what? I, I don't understand that. Like, it's just weird to me, and I, I don't know. I just find, like, the conversation, I, and, like, I find the conversation around this team very weird right now. I'll put it that way. Like, and I don't mean that in the sense of, you, I mean, look, you've expressed a lot of reservations about this team, which I think are more to do with, I don't know if they're concerns that you're like, like, your concern is not the Knicks are going to suck next year, right? Like, you're not concerned about that. I think you're more concerned about can they push the ceiling higher? Will they push the ceiling higher? Can they do it with Tibbs? Right. Will they do it with Tibbs? Which I'm also concerned about. Like, that's part of the reason why, if it was up to me, I would move on from Tibbs. But that's not going to happen. So we can talk or, about or just make, Or just make a trade. That makes it more clear. Like, I yeah. think they have to do one of those two things. Yeah, and, and we can talk about that. But, like, I just find the fucking conversation around, like, the draft so weird. Where it's like, oh my god, like, the Knicks didn't, uh, second year, they didn't draft anybody. And I'm just like, man, I, I, if we're still going to do the whole fucking debate over last year's draft, considering what came out of that, is, uh, to me, that's like, you're pissed that they chose a different path from what you would have done, and you don't care that the Knicks are probably better positioned for it. I mean, I'm not going to say they're definitely better positioned for it than they would have been if they'd kept the pick and drafted, say, Jalen Williams or something like that. I think it's a different position. It's a different proposition bet. Um, but, like, they're in a good position, like an objectively good position as a franchise. So I just find the idea of, like, I can't... like. I'm so angry they didn't buy a pick. And I'm like, like we're angry that like I get, I think they could have got, gotten into the draft. I would have liked them to get into the draft and take somebody because I think it's nice to have a young guy on a contract and keeping the pipeline filled. I, I get that. I advocated for that. I think they should have done it. I would have done it fine. But like, I didn't spend any time on this draft. Like I spent none at all. And I would venture to guess the people that are pissed that we didn't trade in at like, you know, one of those twenties picks that moved out or like, you know, buy a second rounder or whatever. It's like, are you pissed about a specific guy? Like, are you pissed they didn't take these three guys or this one guy or whatever it is? Or are you just pissed they didn't buy a pick? Because to me, the, the latter just not, I'm mad they didn't get a pick. I don't understand that stance. Like I can understand it. If you're Prez, and Prez is like, I love this fucking kid. Like he should have been a pick, and we could have gotten this pick. Fine, I can at least accept that because you, you know, you're basically saying like, this guy, I believe in him, whatever. But I just, I don't know. I, where are you at with the draft and them not picking? And like, are you upset about it, or are you kind of like, 
Because to me, I, I guess I'll, I'll just leave it at this, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of take it from here. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I, w- I can't say I'm upset they didn't get a draft pick, but like, I, I would have preferred they did draft somebody, right? Like, I, I would have strongly preferred that. But to me, this stuff is small potatoes compared to, like, they are a good team right now. The concerns that I have about them is not anymore, like, I'm not concerned anymore of, like, getting young talent to bet on so that we can push our baseline forward. Like, we're be- we have enough young talent that is good on the roster that has pushed us to a certain baseline where my overarching concern now, and this is where I agree with you, is, like, how can we push the ceiling of this team? Because we're kind of, to me, like, you can argue we already were, but we're at least on the precipice of being a contender. And so that's all I give a fuck about right now is, like, how do we actually become a contender? And I'm sorry, like, the 35th fucking pick in the draft, like, yes, I understand Nikola Jokic was picked in the second round and Draymond Green or whatever, but, like, realistically, the 35th pick in the draft is not going, or, like, the 27th or whatever it is, is not going to help take us from where we are today and make us a contender in the next one, two, three years. Okay, it's just not going to happen. So that is my concern, and in that sense, I kind of am apathetic towards what happened yesterday. Yeah, I I think you nailed it. Uh, The only thing I can add to that is, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that uh, I think a lot of anger is just, you know, like Twitter is filled with people who are just reactionary, and obviously, as you know. And so a lot of what you're seeing is just they were going to get mad at, like, at what seems like inaction. Like, they just wanted something to react to. Right. And so they, they weren't even given that, you know, free piece of content of, like, breaking down a draft pick. They just – and so that's where a lot of it's coming from, and I think that can pretty easily be ignored. I think the only credible source of frustration – is if you find the Knicks in action at all em, um, emblematic of like where they are as a franchise right now, and you sort of dig a little deeper into why they're so comfortable just standing pat. And um, like, yeah, they're going to be fine. They're, they've established a high floor. The, found, the foundation is there. Um, but there is value in, as you've said many times, in – keeping the pipeline flowing Mm -hmm. and, you know, and obviously if you have a lottery ticket, there's some chance, you know, that you just luck box, you know, something huge, like the, the Knicks are removing any chance of that happening. And so when you dig a little deeper and you're like, why are they so comfortable with this? Why do they have no interest in renewing the pipeline? Really the only answer is that they know that, a rookie that they drafted would 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 not play, <laughs> um, and they know that because they know who their head coach is. And so, like, I'm sure people who you know listen to this and have noticed that I'm a on this. You know, I've been on this more recently, and I talk about Tibbs a lot. But like, I just I don't know what else there is to talk about because he he wouldn't play the rookie. The front office knows this, so they're like, all right, why should we bother? Like, I don't know, and, and if. If that is the baseline of your frustration, I can't blame you for that. I, I can't blame anyone for just being like, what are we doing? Like, what is the goal here? Um, because 
I, I still don't really know. I mean, obviously, you know that the goal is to win a championship, but it doesn't. It, it still seems like the front office is trying to have its hands in too many different baskets. Yeah, I guess where I would push back on it is, <clears throat> probably just talked about this too. Like, I can, I can agree that Tibbs is too rigid and doesn't fucking all this stuff. You know, we don't need to do like the whole rundown, the litany of issues I or you have with Tibbs. Everybody listening to this fucking podcast probably knows that by now. Um, also, I think he does good things, which whatever. Like, I don't think it's all bad. He does do good things also. Um, we shouldn't need to qualify that every time. Like, yeah, it's just... I don't know. I, like, it's, it's stupid. Like, if we're, if we're breaking down Julius Randle as a basketball player, we shouldn't have to be like, but of course... He's a two-time All-NBA player who's really good at X, Y, and Z. It's like, yes, like well, we should have enough credibility with people who listen to this that you, they know that we're not just like, Tibbs sucks at everything, terrible idiot, you know? Like, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, he, he <laughs> should, if if we were like Woj, we would have to do that. Like, oh, two-time <laughs> All-NBA, two-time All-Star, Julius Randle, probably should have passed it here. Um, no, I, I think, like... So just look, forgetting the coach, like eliminate the coach, just looking at the roster, right? I look at this team and I'm like, okay, there are nine guys who are for sure in the rotation as things stand. You know, we'll get to the OB thing, which whatever. Like I, I personally would, I would guess, again, I have no intel. And you're including Josh Hart in that? Yes. Yeah. So there's definitely nine guys that are, you know, when the season ended and our roster was at full strength, there were nine guys in the rotation, right? OB, we'll see what happens with him. My guess, again, I have no intel on this. My guess is that they they value him more than what their offer the offers were on the table for him. Um, and we've seen this before with like how they kind of did it with Cam Reddish, and they obviously like Obi way more than they like Cam. Is they are comfortable going into a season with an uncomfortable situation that has a finite time deadline if they don't think the value is there in moving that player. Um, and that's where I think they're at with Obi, where it's like they clearly like him. They know that this is probably not tenable long term, but for right now, that doesn't necessitate them making a move where they don't think there's value. Um, okay, now moving on from that. So there's these are the nine guys, right? We know who the nine guys are. Every Knicks fan listening to this knows who the fucking nine guys are. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, there's a tenth guy, right? There's Deuce McBride, who I think is on the cusp of being a real solid rotation, but he's basically being a consistent jumper offensive skill away from being a really solid rotation player, I think. Um, Jericho Sims is a nice utility, throw him out there when shit hits the fan, whatever type of guy. He's not going to be a world beater. He's probably not a rotation center, but he's a guy that you can throw out there for real minutes. And ah, He's not just a center, Sean. Oh, that's forget. right. He is also a power he's a, forward. He's a power forward, too. Yeah. Oh god, that it is that is the worst. Um but like Jericho is is just it is what it is. That's fine. But there so there's like nine guys and then there's one guy who's on the cusp and then there's another guy who is like, you know, there he fills in when needed. Let's put it that way. Um then you have dead weight, right? You have Fournier who's just an expiring salary. Derek Rose probably going to get declined. You know, uh, I don't even remember the rest of the fucking guys out there that, <laughs> like, like you know, there's, there, the rest of the spots are whatever. But that's 11 guys 
that are credible NBA players at bare minimum, right? And if I'm drafting a rookie, I know that to get in the rotation, as things stand, to get into the rotation, that guy has to be better than those dudes. And I'm not sure. I think it's a reasonable standpoint to be like, if we like, we could have moved Obi and let's say a second round pick or something to get into the first this year. But that guy might not be playing because we also have a mid-level exception and we plan on signing somebody with the mid-level exception. And all of a sudden, like we burned this guy's first year on his contract. Maybe we burned the second year of his contract. And now it's like, you're in the kind of a situation that you are in with Obi, right? Where you're like, well, do we keep this dude or should we try to reset the contract clock? And, I just I think that there are reasons to not take a player that go beyond tips. I think like the roster is actually good, so it's reasonable. So to you're look. assuming they're going to stand pat in this. this and I think no, I don't think they're going to stand pat. I think they will try to upgrade a spot in the rotation without like I'll, I mean, look, I'll just put it out that this way: when you see links to Zach Levine, when you see links to Paul George. To me, that's a pretty obvious sign. This is just me. People can interpret it different ways that they want. That that is a as a view to upgrading on RJ Barrett. That's what they think. That's what I think is the obvious takeaway from that. Again, people can disagree with that. That's my takeaway from it. Um, I think they want to do that by using. Look, you. It's not a coincidence. I don't think again that both those guys that they've been connected to. Guess what? R.J. Barrett plus Evan Fournier's expiring contract gets you right in that. There you go. You're done. You have matched the salary. You can make that trade today. I think they want to do that. I think they want to do something with that. those two combined salaries to upgrade that starting, whatever you want to call it, two, three spot in the, road to, in the lineup. And I think they're willing to put in some picks, obviously, to consummate that deal. I think they'd be willing to throw in maybe a Deuce McBride to put in that deal. I'm not sure they would be willing to just throw Toppin in because I still think they seem to value him more than just a guy to throw in in an aggregate salary match type of situation. Or it's just like a, oh, and we'll just give you Obi. Like, I don't think they seem to view him higher than that. So to me, that's what they want to do. And I think they want to use the mid-level exception to get another good player. And they're willing to deal with Tibbs's weird fucking hockey lineup psychotic thing that he does um i I, i'm not again i'm not dead certain about this stuff these this is just how i view it so like i i think they don't want to stand pat but if you look at each offseason what they've done they've more or less looked to they've identified things that they view as weaknesses in the lineup that they can incrementally improve and then they go about doing that without creating gaps in other spots in the rotation. They don't. They're not. They don't always get it right. Obviously, we saw that right with Kemba and Fournier. They didn't get it right there. But I think they correctly identified. Okay, we need to get better offensively in the backcourt. Right, Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock, good soldiers. You know, fine. But they they're not going to be the guys that help get us to a competitive level. They correctly identified those. Didn't correctly identify alter, alternatives. Right. But they also drafted a Quentin Grimes. And then last summer, which, again, they correctly identified, okay, our fucking starting point guard position sucks, and our backup five is 
I mean, I, we talked about this last during that season. That backup five spot was like low key one of the biggest weaknesses in the Knicks rotation that year because the Taj minutes were not great, and Mitch missed obviously a bunch of time that year. He's coming back from his injury. So then, and Noel was fucking. Oh my god, Noel just gave us nothing, yeah. right? Noel did gave us absolutely nothing. So they I correctly identified that as this is a spot we can improve, and they nailed both of those additions last year, right? Brunson, obviously great. Hartenstein, obviously great. We, I mean, you've talked about oh, like you know, they should have gone with quickly, whatever. Like that's fine. They they clearly signed a guy though that I don't think a single person can be like. That was not a good signing. Everybody, even if you think that was a bad signing, you need fucking help. That's all I can tell you. Um, I think they have looked at this team this year. It's clearly like a super, uh, like, I just want to clarify my stance at least. It's it's clearly, it's inarguable that he's on, like, a a discount contract. It's it's, It's maybe the the best best non-rookie contract in the league. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's the best contract for a top – 30 player in the NBA, I would say. Well, other than like, like a Nikola Jokic max is that the best because he's well, yeah. just like, it doesn't matter. You can't pay him enough, right? Guys like him or Giannis or something like you can't pay those guys enough. And they're kind of capped to a point, but I, I know what you're saying. It's like, yeah. for I, I think the best way to put it is he is the best non-rookie, non-max contract in the league. I don't even think that's close actually. Um, But like, I think they've looked at the team's performance last year. And again, this is what I think, and this is what the data like. We know that Leon has a bunch of nerds working for him, and and, and you know I know you listen to the Part Now Pod. This is not like me saying R.J. Barrett can never get it together, or that the data proves that he is forever bad. I think the data just shows he was for a litany of reasons, which we can talk about. Um, not a productive player for them last year, in the sense of his impact on the floor hurt the team's output as a group like the lineups were not great with them right all the lineup data with them is not good um can i uh can i can because I, I, I really love your podcast can i can i add one thing to this yep. to what seth said about about the lineup data because rj his first three years were up and down in terms of impact data um but it was probably lower than you know the average fan would assume and then last year was just a disaster and i thought when seth said that he said um he said, "Impact data isn't about how good you are. Yep. It's about how good how good the lineups or well, how did he finish that sentence? It was I like think it was. It was I, I think the sentiment was more was like the impact data isn't necessarily telling you a player is bad, but it is telling you that the lineups they were in were at the at bare minimum the lineups they were in were not conducive to getting the most out of that player." Yeah. So, line uh, RJ's. Impact data and his lineup data, to me, it illustrates a point that I've long felt about the NBA. And I feel like the NBA has basically turned into, at least at the highest level, stars and then players who can play with stars. I think to swim in the NBA positively, you have to be one of those two players. And right now, to me, RJ is masquerading as a star, but he's supposed to be in group two right now, but he's not doing the stuff that group two players do well, well enough for his lineups to be good. So it kind of goes back to something Seth said 
a year ago that got Knicks fans, or a couple years ago that got Knicks fans all mad when he said that Alex Caruso is better than R.J. Barrett. And lots of Knicks fans were like, okay, well, Alex Caruso can't do what R.J. Barrett can. But does he do it but well like, enough? It, but, but, but does R.J. Barrett do the stuff that he can do better than role players well enough for that to matter? And to me, the lineup data is saying that he doesn't. So he, if my theory is right, that you need to either, to be a positive player in the NBA, you either need to be a real star or someone who can contribute next to a star. To, I hate that it always turns into this because I don't want to turn it into these two players. But you look at someone like Emmanuel Quickly, who every Knicks fan agrees. Quickly, you, I mean, you could just say playoff. you could say Grimes, even right? Grimes shot like shit from the field. Yeah, no, I, I but I want to use Quickly because everyone talks about how bad he was in the playoffs. But for some reason, when he was on the court, the Knicks didn't sink. And if Quickly was so bad, it, the lineup should do worse. And the reason the lineups don't do worse is because even when Quickly isn't shooting the ball well, or like in the playoffs, he wasn't even initiating well. They had to take the ball out of his hands. He still provides baseline competence in areas that allows him to play next to other stars. So you put him on the court next to Jalen Brunson, and it doesn't matter if he never touches the ball. He's going to run around and screen. He's going to space well. He's going to provide gravity. And his defense is in the top, you know, 10% of the league. You can't – he is providing – that every single time he steps on the court, I'm not comparing him to Steph Curry, but there's an amazing YouTube video that's titled Steph Curry has never had a bad game in his entire life. And it basically breaks down why Steph Curry can go over 20 and he will be a positive, especially on offense in that game because gravity is a real thing. And there are things that players do without scoring the basketball that provide positive impact. And so to bring this back to RJ Barrett, R.J. Barrett is averaging – is he averaging 20 points over 20 like points nine, for his career? No, no, no. He's under. No, not in the season for his NBA he's under. career. Is he's it, under. Is it over, he's under? Yeah, but I think he's like I think, I think he's proven as like – to, to be like a hoop nerd that he is, you know, a competent plus bucket getter, you know? But he doesn't score well enough to be in the star category. And I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying – in his first four years, he's only 22 years old. He's not scoring well enough to put himself in the, okay, you're a lead initiator. We're going to put the ball in your hands all the time. You are, the offense is going to hum around you. But then he also isn't like, okay, I'm not a star. I'm going to rebound. I'm going to defend consistently. He doesn't, I'm he, going to. He's at the Wiggins phase of his career where he's still like, Trying to be the man or one of the ma- one of the main guys, right? I'm not, I'm, and I don't say this like as uh, dismissively. Like this is just where he is in his career. He's still like I was the number three pick. I need to right. be, you know, uh, a leading contributor offensively. I need to have shit run through me. I have to like he's at that point where he's still trying to prove that he can do this thing, um, and he's not ready yet. Potentially, I, I'm not, maybe he figures it out. It's possible that he figures out like how to be good in the role you're described, like being a star, right? Maybe he becomes good at being a star. Uh, but if he, either way, he's not at the point where he's written off that possibility for himself. And it's just like, I'm just going to focus on like, you know, 
finding spots off the ball and cutting and fucking rebounding and boxing out and like being a good screener and like he's not at that point right he's he's at a totally different stage of his career at least how he views himself and that's fine like i think and i i just want to yeah. i just want to be very clear i'm saying this not to say that rj can't become those things I'm saying this to try to shine a light on why his impact data is what it is. Because I think that the Knicks want him playing a role, and I think he sees himself playing a different role. And I think that chasm, that disparity in what RJ is and what they what he thinks he should be, is highly responsible for why lineups he's in don't perform well because well, I, I would ask you this: is, what, what do you think the Knicks want from him versus what he wants for himself? I think they want and him and to just sorry, and I want to, I want to, and I and also when I say the Knicks, do you think that there's a discrepancy between what the front office wants from him and what Tibbs wants from him? No, I think they're pretty much in lockstep. My guess is, <laughs> given that the front office is um, at least on some level pretty analytical. My guess is they think about stuff like range of outcomes and ceilings and floors a little bit more than Tibbs does. Mm -hmm. I would guess that Tibbs is much more direct in X's and O's and he has like a role etched out for RJ that that isn't really catered to RJ's skill set, but is more like, okay, you're the wing and you're a you're excuse me, you're a wing and you're our third option. Here are the things I want you to focus on. And then it's kind of like, okay, and how does that correlate with what you do well? Well, we know RJ is a willing shooter, and we know he's good at getting to the basket. So we'll give you, you know, some pistol action every now and then, but we we see you mostly as a floor spacer and a play finisher. And I think that RJ sees himself closer to what he was at the end of the 2022 season when Randall was kind of like in a funk and, you know, quickly was coming on, but he was still a bench player. Um, RJ was pretty much the guy. And, uh, you know, Seth said it on your pod, he averaged over 10 free throws a game. That is indicative of what kind of usage he was carrying and, and how, not heliocentric, but just how involved in the offense was. It's kind of jarring to watch RJ now at least last season. And just think about like how frequently they would go, you know, three, four minutes without him even touching the ball. And this isn't just when Brunson and Randall were on the court. Um, I believe that quickly did a better job of like elevating RJ than, than the starters did. But even when, you know, it was quickly RJ in the bench, there would be times when RJ could just kind of get lost in the offense. Um, and, yeah, I definitely think he wants more. And, I, you know, we're kind of going in circles here, but it's kind of frustrating as a Knicks fan because this is this was supposed to be, you know, our one chance at, like, okay, we finally get a top three pick and, and we like this kid. And they really haven't done much at all to cater to him. And so we could, you know, we could talk about, you know, the lack of space he plays in his whole career but at the end of the day, he's entering year five, you know, and the lineup data is what it is. And so it's basically like what the Knicks have to assess for themselves is, is RJ going to organically make a leap, a leap that will make it impossible for 
you know, Tibbs, because to be fair to Tibbs, when RJ, you know, has a 52, 53 true shooting percentage and he's shooting 30% from three, and during the regular season, he's not finishing very effectively, even like in the paint, he's not passing on, on, on drives very much at all. What is the incentive for a coach who is trying to win and who's, you know, who's on the hot seat? he's not really incentivized to be like, oh, I'm going to take the ball out of Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle's hands and give it to you, you know? And so if RJ wants to be one of those group one star players, it's on him to organically make it happen at this point. And if it doesn't happen, I'm all for having the conversation how the Knicks failed him. But the Knicks have to react with, like Leon Rose has to react to the information he has at hand. And whether or not that's RJ's fault, they got to do what they got to do. And the only other path to RJ remaining a Nick is to him saying to himself and, uh, you know, whoever is coaching him off on the side saying, look, Julius Randle was just an all NBA player. Jalen Brunson is Jalen Brunson. You are firmly the third option on this team. And here's what being a third option on an NBA team in 2023 involves. You have to improve your shooting. Your defensive effort has to be more consistent. You're rebounding all the stuff that allows role players to stay on the floor next to stars, RJ has to get better at all of those. And if he can't, you sort of understand why the front office is like, okay, he doesn't exactly fit the role that we want for a role player wing. Yeah. Um, I think what I would say is, so, like, I think there's a difference between like the first two years of his career, definitely the lack of spacing was just, I mean, it was a disaster. There's no two ways about it. That was just not good. And I would say the third year spacing was a bit better, but you also had these weird fucking lineups with like, it's like Kemba at point who was cooked or Burks at point who was not a point guard and was being asked to do way too much. Like it was weird. So the spacing was better, but it's still weird. And then Randall had a terrible shooting season. So it was like, a fucking odd thing this year. And I get this. Like, obviously the Knicks do not have the best spacing in the league. There's it, it's just not the case. Um, but like Randall is okay for a power forward. I would say probably better than okay, because in terms of spacing, by the way, um, Oh yeah. For like sure. he, he's because he, he takes volume from three and there are nights where if you're not getting out, like if you're not running him off the line, he'll kill you from out there. So teams have to honor that to a degree. Jalen Brunson this year proved he's a killer from three. So teams can't sag off him now. And he's always been a really good catch and shoot guy. So I think that was, you, you can't really cheat off him when he's off the ball. Grimes has gravity, which we can be, we don't need to debate this. And the people that still were like, oh, well, that's why Tibbs didn't put him. That's why he wasn't starting because he can't make a shot. Uh, you can go fuck yourself. Um, but like, t- so to me, I look at that lineup and I'm like, okay, Mitch obviously brings zero spacing to the floor, right? Like the spacing he provides is the idea of like vertical spacing. You have to honor him rolling to the rim and his offensive rebounding prowess and stuff like that. But that's not spacing in the same way. Um, but like, I would say that like some of the lack of spacing in the lineups that RJ plays with in large part is due to himself, you know, like he shot 30% from three. And we saw that like the threes he were getting this year, he was getting this year, sorry. They were good threes. I mean, he's getting good shot quality open threes because teams are daring him, right? They're like, okay, we don't, we don't, we don't think you can punish us. We don't think you can burn us from out there. And I understand, like, 
you know, that's not the type of player he is. He needs to have the ball in his hands, get into a rhythm, feel I, I understand all that, but like you've got to earn that right. And like there's a it's it's hard. Like you said, it's hard, not just for the front office or and for Tibbs. Like it's hard to look at the data per, like they have available to them, and they have more data on RJ than we have, right? Like they've they're probably tracking shit in practice. They're probably tracking all this type of shit. It's hard to look at all that stuff and be like, well, we should trust. Like we should trust him to like we just we're gonna take this leap of faith. It's because it is a leap of faith. You would be taking a leap of faith that. We give him the ball more, and we prioritize, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, we trade Mitch to get a, a center who has more offensive skill, right? Or we have, uh, we get, and we get rid of Randall to get more of like a, a, a stretch four, a, a floor spacing four. And we think that now that, like, like you said, like RJ, be, be, between his skill improvements as a player, because he has made skill improvements, like, that's very real. Um, He's going to move into that group that that as you put it, that group one of stars. The guys that are they don't just put up star numbers, but those star numbers come with star impact. And like I think that's a really big leap of faith for them to make. And so for me, like I think is RJ played in in the best role conducive to maximizing his skill set. I don't necessarily believe that. Do I think he's being put in lineups that make it that that help accentuate his ability to get into the paint and and maximize that. I don't believe so, but I don't think he's good enough, or he hasn't proven to be good enough yet, that they can comfortably make those type of pivots to prioritize him. But I would, I do think he's been a pretty strong priority for them in the sense of like maybe it's not the ideal thing for R.J. Barrett at every step of the way, but I do think they have, they have given him the latitude of the third overall pick. Like he's gotten usage. They've given him minutes. I, I would not agree that they've catered to him in any other way though. I don't think they've made any effort at all to like understand his skill set and try to maximize it. But um, I, but like, and, I don't uh, think he's been good enough to like, to, to, Start maximizing. But he's twenty. Equipment. He's twenty two years old. Like I don't understand. Like so, but like okay. So he, he, it's so he, rare. It's so rare to just come in and be really good, and especially when you're handcuffed by your franchise to the degree that he's been. Think about you know just look at his draft class. Like okay, Zion is was one of one, whatever. Like but John Morant, like John Morant's a really good basketball player. How confident and, and you know he's a special athlete, and we can leave what, the personal stuff aside. But I'd be willing to bet. That if you flip the teams and they had taken RJ number two and we took Jod number three, like how is Jod doing with no shooting around him? So, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm not saying that RJ is as good as John Moran. That's not what I'm saying. But I guarantee you that we would be talking differently about the two players if their okay, situations well, had changed. This is where I would. This is what I would counter. Um, this front office didn't pick RJ Barrett, so their evaluation of him could just be like. We wouldn't have picked him number three overall. Like that—that that could be their eval. They could be coming in with that bias, and so inherent in that bias is like we like RJ. I think they like RJ. I don't have see any reason for them to not like him. They gave him one hundred fucking seven million dollars, so they have to like him a little bit. Um, like I, we like him, but we don't believe that he is that type of player. And I 
agree with you that they have not done everything that there can be done to prioritize and maximize and whatever. And I think that's because they don't believe that he is that type of talent. Like that's that's it. Like to me, and if you if you believe that he is that type of talent, that's fine. Like I don't I don't have any I don't like I, I all I will say is the shot creation limitations with him that I've seen off the bounce, and I don't mean like I know he can get to the rim. There's no questioning that. Like that dude gets to the rim fucking when he played with Alfred Payton and you know yeah. Mo, Mo Harkless at the three and shit like that. So like he can get to the rim. But I mean like all right, can you pull up in the mid range? Can you pull up off from a three from the three? Can you run off the screen and hit a you know, come off a pin down full tilt and hit a shot? Like we haven't seen that type of stuff from him and he basically eschewed pull up threes this year, um, after a really poor start on them. So like I don't necessarily. I, can just, I ask you? A, can I ask you? A, can I ask you a hypothetical? Yeah. What if his best position is stretch four? It's not stretch four. What? What if his best position is at the is four? Like the Jason is at the four. Then I would like. We're in year five, and we have no idea. I I agree. We have no idea. I would also say that I think we are talking about a roster construction that is so inherently different from what we have right now. And I would also say that yes, things have not been prioritized for RJ, but I would, I would say that at least in Leon's first year, things were not ideal for Julius Randle either. I mean, the lack of floor spacing was not great. He had the ball more than RJ. I'm not denying that, but I'm saying like, this was not like, if the environment's not good for RJ, guess what? Because they're, they love to get to the same places. The environment's probably not like the ideal fucking world for Julius. Well, it's 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 in by definition it would be worse for Julius right. because Julius is going to help spacing off the ball more than RJ is. So right. So all other factor if all other factors are the same then actually the situation's worse for Julius than RJ. But right. And I so <laughs> and so to me like it might be as simple as they came in and they were like and I I kind of do think this is what they they thought. They were like okay, we're going to give RJ the ball a bunch and we're going to give Julius the ball a bunch probably more because he's older, more suited for this thing right now. And let's just see what the fuck happens. And we'll put like, you know, we'll try to get these role guys around them and we want to get Tibbs in because we know Tibbs will like get them playing in some specific way and bring order to the universe of this disastrous team. Like I kind of think that's what they did. And to me, if you're the front office, you look at that season and you would be like, okay, well right now, we are going to prioritize Julius over RJ. And I get that that's very frustrating for fans, but like, I am, and I'm frustrated by it endlessly. I mean, I have fucking talked about how Julius Randle is the one of the most frustrating Knicks I've ever rooted for, despite how great he is. I mean, there's, we don't need to do the Julius Randle fucking thing either. Um, but, I, I just think the, the like, again, and to bring this back to the original kind of conversation point is, you know, forgetting what we think, and, and I, I'm totally sympathetic to what you're talking about in terms of maximizing RJ and that they haven't necessarily, it has not been the number one organizational priority throughout his career. Let's put it that way. I think that's something we can agree on. They, he's been up yep. there to me. Maybe we, maybe we disagree on how far up there, but like, he's not been, you know, like you said, he did not get the John Moran treatment, for better or worse. Um, I think they look at this and they're like, okay, well, independent of 
like there's two re there's there's two things I think at play here. One, I this is just my belief, based on their who they have drafted, who they have signed, the skill sets they've gone after, all that type of stuff. I personally do not believe that if this front office had been in charge for that previous draft, they would have taken RJ Barrett. That's what I think. Like I I think that they would have moved down, drafted somebody else, whatever it is. I don't think he would have been their selection, given what I've seen from them in terms of their player evals. And more importantly, and this is what's way more important than, than that, is because of that and because of the lineup data and all that shit that we're talking about, and because they have three years of information of seeing him every day in the building, how he operates, all that type of stuff, I think they feel the guys that we are that they have been connected to, right? Zach Levine, who we know that they had calls about, and Paul George, who they had discussions about. These guys have ceilings that R.J. Barrett will never hit. That is, I think, the crux of those conversations. Because Paul George is, what, 33 years old? And yeah. Zach Levine is 28. So you're not, like, these are fully formed guys. I mean, in Paul George's case, you're getting potential, I mean, not potential, you're getting decline years, right? But they're basically saying, we think that these guys, on their contracts they're on, so in Zach Levine's case, three-year guaranteed with a player option on year four, and in Paul George's case, it's the one year left on his contract with a player option. Um, like, we think that these guys, for as long as they're on those contracts, and for as long as we, like, they are better right now for those duration of those contracts than R.J. Barrett is for the duration of his. That's what I think is the value proposition that they, they view that as. And if we get these guys and we basically take out R.J., drop in, you know, Zach Levine, drop in Paul George, we get way better as a team. I don't know that that is, like, I, I so I'll say this. I don't know if that's true for Zach Levine. I just, something about it is weird. And I want to talk, we'll talk about this too with like the smart thing, the smart course English trade, because on paper, I'm like, this makes Boston better, but something about this is fucking weird to me. Um, I don't know. The Levine thing on paper, you're like, okay, yeah, you take out RJ, 53 true shooting, drop in the 60 true shooting guy, we're good to go. Like, I don't see how this could possibly fail. And like, and like we talked about all season, RJ Barrett did not have a good defensive season. So, okay, Zach Levine's not a good defender. Shouldn't be too much of a problem. Something about that. He was good last season for what it's worth. Yeah, and it just, whatever it is, like, something about that to me, I'm just like, I I can't tell you what it is. I wouldn't do it just because, like, it doesn't, it just feels weird. Like, I, I can't shake that feeling that it's just fucking weird to me. Um, But to me, Paul George, like, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I will do that at a certain price point because, yeah, it's his decline years. Yeah, he's injury prone. But to me, he is clear cut. Like, he is... He is not in that top 10 upper crust league shaping caliber of players, but he is absolutely in the crust of players beneath that that can flank any of those guys, and you have a formidable you know, top two options. He's absolutely in that level, and, and we've seen that at times. He has, the le- he has the capability to lift a team into the conference finals, right? I mean, we saw him in that Utah series. I mean, and, and you got to remember, Donovan Mitchell went off in that series. Paul George went shot for shot with him. He he took he and he he got them to that conference finals and they took the Suns six games. Like he he was playing great that year. I don't know that like to me that's just such a high level. And then you talk about the defensive stuff, right? I mean, can you imagine having him and Grimes in the starting lineup together? 
with like Hart and quickly coming off the bench and Deuce potentially. Like that stuff. I, I'd say. I'd say. Imagine like the fun lineups we could create. But. Yeah, we we know that's not gonna happen. <laughs> it's still we're gonna get the like Paul George will be the three forever. Like to me, and yeah. I I saw what you you tweeted out. I liked all those that thread you put out. Like I I know that. Paul George has played in lineups that are different. Like, and and I, I people will focus on like, well, he was the three and Kawhi was the four. It's basically basically the idea is he has played and has had his best moments in lineups where the four, whoever it is, is not a true four. It's a wing. It's right. it's basically a wing. And I know like there's there'll be people oh, Julius basically plays like a wing. I I get that. It's it's one of those feeling things again though where it's like. Okay, but watch Julius Randle. Do you really fucking think this guy is a wing? Like, can we be for real for a second? Um, right. But, like, I hear all that. And even in that sense, I'm like, what we got to think is if you put yourself in the front office's mind, right? If, and, and I'm not talking about Leon, but the guys, the nerds, right? The guys that are going to be advising Leon. So, you know, Wes and, and his army and Brock Aller and the nerds. They have to live in the in the accepted kind of paradigm that is Tibbs is the head coach and we will play XYZ way. So if that's the reality that I have to make decisions in and I have to make uh, advise personnel choices in, is this guy better than that guy? Like and and if you look at that and you just think about that, if you're just like again, if you're because this is basically what it is, is take out RJ Barrett, drop in a Paul George, I just I'm willing to roll the dice, man, because I think this team, even with my reservations about Tibbs as a head coach, even with my reservations about the play style and all that type of shit, if you told me we have Paul George in that Heat series, despite all that, I'm like, ah, healthy Paul George in that Heat series? Maybe. I mean, we were there. You know, we were right there, even yeah. despite all that shit, despite Spolstra being the best coach in the league, despite, you know, Julius Randle crapping himself, despite fucking injuries to quickly and him not playing well, despite Grimes not being able to hit a shot. We were right fucking there. And I, I'm sorry. Like to me, there's a price where I'm doing that for Paul George. If the price is like RJ Barrett, uh, I mean, we all know Fournier's expiring contract. That can go in any fucking deal. I just, that, that get the fuck out of here. But Fournier's expiring contract, let's say an unprotected pick next year. And another protected pick or two. I'm I'm gonna do that because to me, this team and this is what I wanted to get to. And when I was talking about the draft, or this was kind of what I was referencing when I was talking about the draft is because this team. If you told me that we keep the rest of the team, Sands, R.J. Barrett, and even with R.J. Barrett, their constructions, where I just believe like if you keep seven or eight dudes of that nine man rotation, that's a team that's worth investing in, and that's a team that is not far off from being a contender. I truly believe that. So, like, I think you have, if you view, and this is what the more, this is what Maury has said, right? Where it's like, if you have a 5% chance of winning a championship in any given year, you should fucking try to win a championship. The Knicks, they have a 5% chance. I, like, I fully believe they have a 5% chance to win a championship next year. So if you have, if you can make moves that improve, that you believe improve your percentages to win a championship, I think you should do it. And I especially think, like, I feel much more strongly again about the Paul George thing for the reasons I just explained. But if you, like, I, I understand the Levine thing. These two moves to me, the way they've been discussed, at least, like, the kind of the, you know, the, all the the tidbits out in the ether, like, they indicate moves that would not be priced at, like, 
the Donovan Mitchell, give me all your flexibility type of things. To me, that's like, I'm doing that. I'm doing that for Pete, Paul George. I wouldn't do it for Zach Levine, but I think if a front office did choose to do that, it's not indefensible. I understand it. Like, I, I do understand that. And I think that's a hard thing because for so long, the Knicks have sucked. The Knicks have sucked. For, like, let's, let's, <laughs> the Knicks have sucked and they've been directionless and they've had no hope for the better part of two decades. Okay. Like, they've, that's what it is. And we have been pining. Like, how many times have we been like, just fucking draft and develop, just fucking draft and develop, just fucking draft and develop? Mm-hmm. They have done that now, and they've positioned themselves to a point where that can't just be the only way you look at it. And that can't just be the only thing you value is flexibility and drafting and developing guys. Like They have to try to balance now both the need for long-term growth development, best thing for the franchise, with short term, how do we maximize this season? How do we improve our chances of winning a championship this season? I think they're at that point. I I fully believe they're at that point, especially after the Josh Hart trade. They were on a fifty. They they finished seventeen and eight, and that includes what like four games. They just basically threw out fucking kids and didn't play anybody. Um, yeah. Like they were seventeen and eight. It's a fifty six win pace over a full season. They're really fucking good. They're really, really good. And 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 it didn't just end there. Like, I know that Miami Heat series was extremely frustrating. They beat the absolute fucking breaks off of a really good Cleveland team. Destroyed them. Like, made them look like children in that series. They crushed them. That was a five-game gentleman sweep is what that was. Um, like, that. this team is very good. It is very good. And I think they are at a point, in, and because they're very good, they're at a point where they have to make some really tough decisions, tough choices. There are no easy ways to get to win a championship, right? There are no easy paths to doing that. There are no paths to doing that that don't come with casualties. I'm sorry. Like, I like R.J. Barrett a lot. I like Emmanuel Quickly a lot. I like Quentin Grimes a lot. Like, I love those guys, actually, you know? Um, Contrary to popular belief on one R.J. Barrett. I love these guys. I love Mitchell Robinson. You know, I love these dudes. But to win a championship, it's very unlikely all of them are going to be on the t- on the team that wins the championship. It's just not how it works. You know, the Golden State fucking dream of, oh, we drafted three guys, and they're all Hall of Famers. Like, that's what it is. It's a fucking dream, man. Like, it is a dream. It very, very rarely happens. So I guess, and this kind of took me a little bit of time to really get to this place after the season ended. Where I'm at is just like, I'm only concerned, right? I mean, not only concerned, but I am more much more focused on does what move and what moves can we make that increase our chances of winning a championship this year next year in the next three years something like that like that is what the level of this team is and i think that that's the level this team is at which and it warrants the franchise thinking now in a different way than where they have been previously and which i've agreed with previously which is you know be cautious, slow play it, keep your guys, like, let's see what this can become. I think we have a very good idea now of what this can become, but to to turn it into that, you know, there are going to be guys that have to make way for dudes that you bring in from the outside that you think can improve the situation. Yeah. And I apologize um, for the, like, 15-minute monologue I just gave there. No, no, that's okay. Um, just 
I, I I agree with everything you said. I just I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic overall about the team. Mm-hmm. Um, like you brought up the five percent thing. I don't think they're I don't think they're as currently constructed five percent to win a championship. Like if they just ran this team back, I would. I just don't think to I don't think we. I don't think they can win a championship with Tibbs. I guess is what I'm saying. I don't think he is a championship coach. Um, and that's sort of why I am arriving at the same conclusion you are, because I think it's obvious that the players are going to be the first casualty. So, like, if the Knicks stand pat this season or this off season, I think there's a lot of which is weird for Knicks fans. I think there's a lot of optimism about like. We made the second round, and we've got all these young guys. Just give them a little bit of development, and the progression is going to be linear, you know? And first of all, the Knicks were incredibly fortunate. Like, they were as fortunate as you can be last season in terms of they were a five seed, and they got a dream matchup in the 5-4 matchup. And then they played an eight seed in the second round, and they didn't make the conference finals. So, like, that's the baseline we're working with right now. I know that probably sounds too pessimistic for most people, but I'm I would say that I would say the Heat. They were such a weird. T- I don't even know how to like wrap my brain around that team. It was fucking bizarre. Mm-hmm. They started making every. Three. I mean, yeah, but they they didn't make every three against the Knicks. And they didn't, the but they the most. But they but they also the Knicks gave up the more. Op- the Knicks gave up a higher. Pr- I know we talked about this last time. You made a really good point. Like the Knicks aren't just running good forever, but it is a fact that. The Knicks gave up a higher percentage of open threes than any other team the Heat played in the playoffs. And the Heat missed more threes, like made a lower percentage of threes than they did against any other team in the playoffs. If you look at all the data, the Heat came closest to playing like an eight seed against the Knicks than any other team. Now, the Knicks deserve credit for that, obviously. But I just, I think we're going to look back, and I said this last time, I think we're going to look back and rue not winning that series because it's not just like easy to get back to that point. Well, I mean, and... I, I, I agree with that. And that's kind of like, like if they're not going to do the tips, like you can do, there's multiple ways to improve a team, right? We've seen teams fire their coach and hire a new guy and he gets more into the pieces. We've seen teams change their rosters. We've seen, I think we're seeing a team in Boston. I, will, I think we'll see. I, I'm not sure they're totally changing their identity, but like, there's something going on there that feels like they're taking a real big swing this upcoming season. Um, like, I like you think they might trade for Dame? Maybe. I mean, I I could see it. I I would if I were them. I mean, I would fucking send Jalen Brown's fucking psycho, weird wannabe mm-hmm. Kyrie ass out of there, and I would if you're gonna go for it, fucking go for it. Is what I think. Um, I, like there are ways to do it. The Knicks are not gonna fire. They're not gonna fire. Tom Thibodeau. I think that's safe to say. If they were going to do it, they would have done it by now. I agree. I think it is unlikely they find a trade that they feel is worthwhile to move Julius Randle. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think there are trades they could probably get that I would consider doing. And that's whatever. We've talked about this too. They're they're probably not going to do that. Okay. I think it's a Let's say this. It's a lower odds play than moving a guy like RJ Barrett. But anyway, the point being is you can either change your coach or you can change your personnel, whatever, or you can do an entire stylistic overhaul of what you're going to do. We know that the latter is almost definitely not going to happen as long as Tibbs is the coach and he's going to be the coach. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you are limited to 
what personnel you can change. And I guess like where I'm at with it is I think it's fair to be skeptical of that choice and of their decisions and, and we'll see where that kind of leads us. But I, I think they deserve some benefit of the doubt. Like I'm willing to give them a shot to be like, okay, let's just see what, where, where do you take the next step and how, what choices do you make to take the next step? And oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I just, but what I, what, where I was going with that wasn't that like, oh, they should. I don't even think. I don't see how the Knicks keep credibility after firing Tibbs. Like, I don't even think me, who was like as pessimistic as like, if I was sitting in that front office, I'd be like, okay, like obviously you can't fire him. I understand that. But where I was going with that is that I think given that and given how I feel about Tibbs, I think there's only one inevitable endpoint. And I think the endpoint is that people, whether that's the front office, whether that's the media, whether that's Nick's Twitter, collectively decide that this core isn't going to win a championship. That's what is going to happen, in my opinion. And I'm not sure that's true. I actually think that there's so much we don't know about this core, as I was alluding to earlier. We don't know what... I mean, I said on Twitter yesterday, and it's like the most maddening thing I've ever seen. I had listed four lineups that had R.J. Barrett at power forward. It was like some combination of Brunson, Quickly, Grimes, and Josh Hart. So three of those four guys playing with RJ. So there's four different lineups of that. All four of those lineups combined to play 56 minutes last season. And then Jericho Sims played like 150 minutes with Isaiah Hartenstein last year. He played three, Jericho Sims played three times as many power forward minutes as RJ Barrett did. That is, and that's just an example. We talked about it last offseason. We talked about the, the quickly Grimes, RJ, Randall lineup or quickly Grimes, RJ, Obi, one of the two played 19 minutes. Like I just, we don't know what the ceiling of this core is, but I believe I know what the ceiling of this core with Tibbs as the coaches. And I feel very confident in that. And I feel very confident that if we don't do anything this off season and we just rely on internal development, and the rest of the conference makes their moves, whatever moves happen. We're going to get to the trade deadline next year, and the conversation is going to be, how do we get better? It's not going to be about Tibbs. I mean, maybe it will be because people are people. But the primary conversation is going to be, what trade do we have to make? And our values will have de- or our assets will have depreciated a little bit, and we'll be a little bit further behind the eight ball. So, like, I just think they have to do something now to get moving on the track that I think is just inevitable. And I could be wrong. Like, I would be so happy if you had me on in this podcast in February of next year and we're like the one seed, you know, and RJ and Randall are in all-star conversations or quickly, you know, like I, I just don't see it. I, I, and I didn't even say Brunson, obviously Brunson. But like, I just don't see it happening uh, with this core and this coach. I think he's too rigid. I think when you don't have, you know, like a Jokic, a Giannis, the thing that matters most is rotational and positional versatility. And Tibbs is not willing to do that at all, like in the slightest. Um, So I think he's going to keep etching out his roles for the players. I think we're going to keep, you know, Brunson and Randall are going to be 
pretty much mini Lucas. Like we're going to just run a bunch of ISOs and I don't know, like I, I look, this is a long way of saying that like, I'm, I know I'm putting myself out here and I know I'm being very pessimistic, but I just, I feel very confident that we're going to get to a point at the trade deadline next year or at the end of next season that we probably should already be at right now. And that's why I think they should just do something. Yeah. I mean, I think they should do something and um, I think they're going to do something. I, I just, I, I really think that one of these guys, like a Levine or uh, um, Paul George, I think one of those guys is going to be on the Knicks next year. I have no – that's just my gut instinct. I feel like they have been looking for that. They've been taught – they talked to the Bulls at the trade deadline, kind of like set it up, I think. I don't think – and then that leak that came out yesterday from Bondi – from Rich Paul, by the way, one of the most hilarious leaks everybody, like in so many ways, like it's so funny to me to hear, to see, read in that piece that, um, that like they think there's a Levine's camp or whatever the fuck the, the, the fucking exact verbiage was, think that the, uh, the Knicks show favoritism to CAA clients, mostly just because like you're fucking clutch. Look at the Lakers. What are we talking about? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just so ridiculous. Um, and it's so obvious he's just mad that we like. I'm sorry that Cam Reddish sucks, dude. Like, it's not our fault that Cam Reddish sucks. And Tibbs saw him and was like, "All right, fucking enough. Like, I'm enough with this guy. He's the clown. We're moving on." Uh, <laughs> I support. It's crazy that it's crazy that Cam's last game as a Nick had that. You remember that one possession yeah. he had oh, at the, I know. the Mavericks game where he like he, dri- he like fell. dribbled. He was he doing fell. all the crazy. Yeah. <laughs> He literally fell driving the ball uh, to the rim. It's one of the funniest things I've seen. Um, it's actually funny that, that we had like an injury crisis in the middle of the season, and he just didn't play. Like he was just like, "Yeah, that's cool. You're not the play, actually." Um, but yeah, like I, I just, to me, the draft stuff, all of it, it just pales in comparison to what we just talked about. Like the Knicks, if they're not going to do the Tibbs thing, they've got to find a way to make a big move, and that point is approaching because. They have, they have a good team, and like you know, it's one of those things where if the Knicks have, if even even if the Knicks have the same exact season, if they have the same exact season, say they win fifty games this time, but they win the first round and they lose in the second round, and they you know and they didn't make any trades, people are going to look at the it, the, I, the sentiment completely changes. It's just like, what is the point of this team? We're not going anywhere. We can't get to the you know we can't get to the conference finals. We can't compete. We're not a contender. That's just how it works. So. Uh, and I think that's also this front office has shown that they feel pretty. I think they feel like they can use a season's worth of data, find ways that they can incrementally improve and make those changes and go for it that way. Um, I'm not sure that, again, like we don't need to keep talking about this, but we'll see what they do. I think they have a very interesting summer ahead of them. I suspect that they will use the mid level exception on somebody, um, in addition to the type of thing we're talking about here, where you know, you make a big move, consolidate. You know, it could be. Right, look, for all we know, it could be quickly, right? It could be. Oh, we'll package quickly. Fournier, Obi's contract, fucking Hartenstein. I don't think they will because, to me, the way they operate, they'd be like, "Well, why are we weakening? We're creating three gaps in our rotation now instead of one, which we would just be replacing like for like." I don't see them doing that, but it's possible they do that. Um, but I, I want to, you know, look, we've talked about the Knicks plenty, and we're going to talk about the Knicks a shit ton moving forward, obviously, because this is a Knicks podcast. Um, but 
what have you made of like look there's been plenty of moves around the league now um you know there was the chris paul trade which is funny and also interesting on a number of different levels uh the wizards finally blew everything up i want to start with the celtics you know because i think the celtics thing is pretty fascinating and i i thought that entire trade was like very interesting well i mean i don't think the wizards part of it is that interesting i think the wizards part is just like we got tyus jones who is good and we can either play him as a point guard or we can trade him for more shit and we got the 35th pick which objectively like we need as many bites of the apple as we can get right now that was a pretty straightforward trade for them but i think the trade is very very interesting for both boston and memphis and you know i guess we let's start with the boston one because boston is obviously a more direct rival to us um what did you make of that for Boston? Because I, again, like I look at that trade and I'm like, and I even talked to my dad about this, who's a Celtics fan, if you don't know, he doesn't like to trade. Um, he, I like, like on paper, I'm just like, this trade is good for them. They got the best talent in the trade. They got two picks. Like this, this seems great. This is, and they got, they not got rid, but they, the, the salary filler they traded were guys that weren't going to play for them. So, like I'm like this. This is great. This is a no-brainer choice. But like something about it is just off to me. Like I look at that team now, and I'm like, I don't know. Did you listen to uh, Doc Rivers on the Simmons pod? Like after the NBA Finals, he came on. He he talked about you know he used to talk because he was like you know I used to talk to Red Auerbach, and Red Auerbach always used to, always used to say, apparently you need instigators on your team. You need instigators. You got to have them. I look at this Boston team and I'm like, who the fuck is instigating anything on this team? Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Porzingis, like, come on, They're, Grant Williams might, but he's probably gonna go. He's probably leaving now. Um, I think that's like, for, and you know, I think basically what we're talking, what that means is like, who in that team is gonna be like the tough guy? I'm not talking about like throwing punches, you know, fucking, but like, like Josh Hart adds an element of toughness to the Knicks that I don't think they had before, even though I wouldn't have said they're a soft team. But they're definitely tougher having added a guy like Josh Hart. Like, who is a guy like that on their team? I don't know. They feel like a very finesse team now. Like, very, very much a finesse team now. Um, and, and they're going to shoot even more threes. Yeah, they're going to shoot even more threes. They have less rim pressure. Even though Smart wasn't like a heavy driver, they have less rim pressure. They clearly don't care about Brogdon, which we found out in a very amusing way. Um, so who knows how he yeah. handle that. Uh, well, he served. He served. He served his purpose. Yeah. He got them their award. You know, he, he won. He won the. He won the yearly Boston award that the media got to give to him. And... The yearly Boston has the best players award. Um, mm-hmm. But I, 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 and look, I know that it's fun to mock Celtics fans how much they have loved Marcus Smart. It's very fun to do that. I encourage everybody to always continue doing that. But like to me, it's kind of a similar thing to the way that. You know, certain Knicks fans feel about an R.J. Barrett or an Emmanuel Quickly or, you know, um, like those two specifically because, or Mitchell Robinson, like three drafted guys that maybe are never going to be all-stars, but they like represent something to you as a fan that it just goes beyond what they their ceiling is and what their standing is around the league. It's something different. I think Smart represents something like that. And he clearly was like the strongest voice in the locker room. And in a lot of ways, maybe the only voice in the locker room. Um, And he was a leader and he did take accountability. And like, 
all these stuff. He did. He put his fucking body on the line. You know, as annoying as a guy, as annoying as that was to watch at a lot of times, where he's like flopping around every time Julius is trying to post up or something. Like there, there's something to those type of aggravating, annoying players that do the thing. Like like you talked about, you're either a star, or you need to learn how to play next to stars. He does all of those intangible glue guy, annoying, fucking unappreciated in some ways things. And they just don't have that now. Like you look at their roster, right? I would I would say Derek White. Derek White. Derek, yeah. Derek White from from a personality standpoint, he is not Mark Smart. He's not <laughs> an instigator per se. Like he's not at all. But Derek I mean Derek White was the He was the third best player this year. Best, he was the third yeah. best player on the team last year. Yeah. White's awesome. He's uh, he's awesome. I will also I would caution though and say he like busted out as a three point shooter last year. I wonder yeah, he ran really hot. He ran really hot. It's possible that he just got better. I mean, that can happen sometimes. Um but like I and I, I agree with you. I think Derek White's really fucking good. I mean, that was a great trade for them. It's just I can't put my finger on it though. But like something about this trade Do they not have Horford? They have Horford. They, they, but they... I Oh the Horford thing. Like that whole thing we you know, I mean, you remember in the in the fucking Heat series when he was like the T. Yeah, if that, that was. I mean, I hate Miami, uh, and I the Jimmy Butler fucking stuff is so annoying at this point. It's bad. It's so annoying. Um, but like, it was pretty funny for them to throw that back at him. Uh, but like, I, I don't think I don't think Horford is naturally like smart. Doesn't need to try to be an instigator. Like that's just what he is. That's how he plays. It's his personality as a player. I don't think Al Horford is that naturally. He's a good guy. He's a nice veteran leader, but he's also not like some rah-rah dude. He's not going to get, he doesn't get like Marcus Smart called out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum last year publicly. If you remember, you know, he basically was like, they're not make they're not passing the ball. That's more or less what he said. And like, you have to have a certain personality and a certain standing and credibility to be able to do that shit. Right. When you start calling teammates out publicly, is or as a coach or as a team or as an actual you know player, you've got to have a certain personality, and I think you need that type of personality to win a championship eventually and and contend. I mean, and they are you know we talked about our chances of contending and how we feel about that. They clearly are a contender. Um, so to me, this trade is on 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 paper. I'm like this is awesome, but I still feel like this can't be this can't be the only thing they do this summer. I think. I th- and I don't think it is. I think there is another big move coming. I don't know what it is, but like you, even if like forget Jalen Brown, right? You've got that twenty-two and a half million dollar Brogdon contract. I think Robert Williams is like making thirteen, fourteen. I'll look it up or something. Um, and then you've got you know you've got that Golden State pick, which I think got worse yesterday because I kind of like that. I like the Chris Paul trade for them weirdly, even though I despise Chris Paul. Um, but yeah, like, it's Chris Paul, yeah, right. And so, he's, 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 yeah, and he's going to come off the bench. Whatever, we'll, we'll talk about that too. But like, I, you think? Yes, the, uh, I, I think that this. I just, I, I, I think, think there's more moves coming. Like they, they have all their picks basically, other than a twenty. I think there's no. I think they have all their picks. They gave up a twenty twenty eight pick swap for Derek White, which is mm-hmm. top one protected. Which whatever. But like, they have all their picks. They have that Golden State pick now. I think something else is coming. I really do. And I'm because this, and I guess I know I've been talking for a while. Because to me, this feels like the roster is still incomplete. 
Yeah, I can see it. Um, so regarding Marcus Smart, he is my least favorite player in the NBA to watch. <laughs> Bar none. But I I love the guy. I gotta be honest. I lo- like if I didn't have to watch him play basketball and I could just like objectively analyze him, everything that he like he clearly like leaves it all out there, which I've always loved, obviously. Um who doesn't? Uh, and just from like an analytical standpoint, how I view basketball, you know, what I was describing earlier that you just brought up, he fits. He is somebody you can win a championship with on the court. Um, and so we can talk about the Memphis side of it. Um, I think they overpaid for Marcus Smart, but like, I do think they got better. And I do, and I love Tyus Jones too, by the way. But like, at the end of the day, Tyus Jones couldn't be on the court when the game needed to be won or lost, those playoff games. Tyus Jones can be on the court if John Morant isn't on the court, but if John Morant's on the court, they, they weren't. They, you could, that's too small. They needed someone who could play without John Morant, but could also, you know, play with him and help, help the team with him as John Morant is, you know, doing John Morant things. And Marcus Smart can do that. And I'm very, very, very intrigued by Ja, Smart, Bain, and Jaron Jackson. Honestly, whoever the fuck else is out there. Like, throw any fifth guy out there, pretty much, that is remotely reasonable. That That's a team. That That's tough, in my opinion. Um, my worry with that team is there's, like, the Smart piece is weird because I... I get what he does for them, especially in Ja's absence, but Ja's not going to be absent the whole time, hopefully for his sake anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, Ja, there are matchups where Ja, Bane, Smart can definitely close, but they're going to be matchups where I'm like, you're really fucking small. And and not just are you small, this is the problem, or not the problem, but this is a weakness of Jaron Jackson Jr., right, is he is not a good rebounder. He's not a good defensive mm-hmm. rebounder. And that group, with how small they are, I'm like, are you know who is that? There are matchups where it might not matter, but there are matchups where I'm like, man, like they're gonna play the Lakers or like fucking Nuggets. That team is so small. I'm like, Jokic might fucking he might break the Wilt record. Like we might get that or something. Um, but yeah, no, that I it's a weird, tra- it's an interesting trade for them. I agree. Um, yeah, I. I don't really view basketball like that. Or I mean, I do obviously like, I I just think we've gone so far away from like, like people always talk about like RJ, like how he could play to bring back RJ. Like they were like, Oh, he could play shooting guard and he could like take advantage of size mismatches. And it's like, that doesn't really happen anymore. You know, like it's become such a perimeter oriented league that it's actually helped smaller guys because the most important thing is being able to stay in front of people. It's uh, I mean, I keep referencing your podcast. That was a great podcast, but Seth brought it up. He was worried about the Porzingis aspect of this trade because he was like, okay, so Porzingis is in the playoffs. What do the Celtics do when, or you know, cause you were talking about it. If they trade him to the Knicks, he was like, what do the Knicks do if the opposing team just sticks a small forward on him? Like, okay, Porzingis is just going to shoot a bunch of fadeaway 10-footers because that's what he does. Like, that's what size mismatches have become. And so, okay, so Denver has, you know, or use the Lakers. Like, the Lakers play LeBron and Anthony Davis as their front court. 
okay, they have Rui Achimura out there at small forward, you know, like, oh, God, he's got a couple. In, you know, like, if that's the way you lose, that's – to me, you have to seed something. And I, I me personally, I, I'm fine seeding a size disadvantage or, excuse me, seeding a size advantage to the other team if the guys can still do the basketball things that matter. You know, like Marcus Smart and Desmond Bain are really good defenders. And so, you know, I, I, I personally would have no problem putting Smarter Bain on a guy who's, you know, a couple inches taller than them because I know they're going to lock in and I know they're going to get to the spots. And to me, that matters more than size. Um, I'm not saying I'm definitely right. That's just how I view basketball. Uh, to bring it back to the Celtics, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they're done. Um, but if they are done, man, White, Brown, Tatum, Horford, and Porzingis is is really good. <laughs> That's a really good team. Um, one thing that I'm surprised hasn't been talked about, though, we we seem oddly confident that Porzingis of last year was just for real. Well, I think like, he's for real, like, if he's on the floor and he doesn't have any major injury stuff, I think that's for real. Like, what he did last year is for real. I think he's that player now. Obviously, maybe he's not. Maybe he was in the 90th percentile last year as a post player. Maybe that comes down a little bit, and it's like a 70, 75th. But it's, I think he's for real improved in areas that he was not good at. But the injury risk will be there. I mean, this we talked about this last time you were on, where, like, I think the Knicks should have been in on Porzingis, but... I also like, and I would have given him a certain extension. And look, we got this is the other part of this deal that I think gets glossed over is like, people are like, how do they only get, how do they get Porzingis for that much? And it's like, you got to remember, like, Porzingis has extensive injury history. He opted in, which is nice for them. But that, like, so do you want to, like, are you going to keep him? And if you're going to keep him, he has leverage now, right? Like, he can be like, well, I mean, fucking traded Marcus Smart to get me. Like, you guys want to, you know, give me the max extension here? Yeah, he's got some leverage. So it depends on what the extension comes in at. But like, it's look, it's it's a big it's a big time move. And I I also wonder um, about this part of it, which I don't think it's discussed enough, or at all. I've seen Robert Williams was the starting five. Uh, I know he was in and out of the lineup last year, and there were a lot of mixed feelings about that. And and he's not been healthy, so. I don't fully blame Missoula for just being like, well, if you're not healthy, I'm just going to fucking, you can come off the bench because I can't keep fucking shifting you in and out of the lineup. Um, how does he feel about that? Because you got Porzingis, like, he's he's now coming off the bench. Like, Robert Williams is coming off the bench. That's what's happening. Is he going to be happy about that? And I know, you know, there's no way to know this. If he's not... And he comes into camp, and he's you know he like he has a Jordan Poole season. Obviously, it won't be the same because he's not a fucking point guard with the ball in his hands. Um, but like he comes in, and he's you know he's not focused, and he's not doing the things that he can do. And he's I, I wonder, like I just think there's a lot of I. This is why I think there's another move coming. I just do. I really would be surprised if this is their finished roster. This is or this is their opening day roster. I really would. I think. There's something else brewing here. I think there really is. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know we brought up Dame 
and maybe this isn't you know the direction you wanted this conversation to go. go I have no idea how you. I have no. I have no idea how you feel about this. So you know, maybe you'll maybe you'll think I'm crazy. But like, how how are the Blazers not trading him to anybody? <laughs> to just anybody? It's I don't understand. They have so like if you were to you know if you were one of those people who creates lists like uh, Ben Stiller and Along Came Polly. <laughs> I don't know why I'm quoting that, referencing that movie. But if you made all the reasons they should go for it this season, and then all the reasons that they shouldn't, it would just be, there would be so many more eggs in one basket. It's just the only thing keeping them from fully committing to a rebuild is Dan. And like, I get it. I get, I get you're not a big market franchise. And I get that, like, it would mean a lot if he retired as a Blazer, which he still could, by the way. But or if he played his whole career as a blazer, but he wants to win, you're not gonna win. You're not. <laughs> so like, he, there's one thing he wants. You can't provide it for him. All you're doing is just delaying the inevitable. And it's just, I just don't get how they don't just they they could be in such a good spot. Like he still has as high of as high value as he's ever gonna have is today. It's not getting any higher. And like once that the second that trade is made, they're a hundred percent committed to building around a pretty solid core of young guys. And with they'll have a ton of picks, and they can they can just be like, all right, Scoot, it's your city now, and they can go from there. And I just I don't understand why they're not doing it. It's like the the Manning to Andrew Luck uh, transfer. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. It, look, I think there's so many angles to this thing and they've all been discussed to death but like they first of all both both sides are clearly like pussyfooting around the fact that like the the blazers clearly don't want to try to contend because and i think rightfully like they're like we actually don't have a path like we just can't do this and dame wants them to contend so there's right there is the point of conflict Neither side wants to be the one to ask for a divorce, um, so they're you know they they're trying to tap dance around it and passive aggressive jabs and you know all this type of like weird leaks coming from either side of things. Um, that's part of it, and then I think there's like you know look Dame has he for real like gave them great years hall of fame years you know he's had a hall of, yeah. if his career ends today he's a, he's a first by hall of famer there's no there's no question um and they've filled that fucking stadium for as long as they've been there and trust me that there was no other game on that like nobody was like nobody was like you know who i want to see tonight i want to see fucking myers leonard pick and pop threes i want to see <laughs> i want to see cj mccollum be a worse version of dame i want to see you know all these Fucking oh, let me get Ennis Cantor was a blazer, you know. They they've never they they've cobbled together rosters around him. They never went for it, never, not once. They never went for it. And I think if you're him, you're like, what the fuck? Like I gave you, I've given you my career. I've given you, and I've not, I've never, I've been an upstanding citizen, right? I have not made wild demands of you. I have not gone public with my displeasure constantly. I have, you know, I have 
publicly backed my teammates and all these type of things. I've done all the things that you could ever want from a franchise player. And you 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 won't do this for me? And and like they are rightfully and look, this is a different front office. You got to remember that. You know, Joe Cronin is not Neil O'Shea. It's a different front office. He's not beholden to this he or he shouldn't feel any, and I don't think he does feel beholden to decisions that were made prior to his arrival and prior to to him, you know, being promoted to the top spot. Um, but like, Dame's got to read the room then. And look, man, it's it's not just that they drafted Scoot. They've got fucking Scoot, and they've got Anthony Simons there, and they've got you, and they've got Shaden Sharp. So all this backcourt talent, you know, I know, everybody knows, Dame knows. They can have all the talent. If you have all this backcourt talent, guess what? It's probably still not going to be a good team because all those guys can't be on the floor together. And if they are, your defense is going to give up like 600 points per game. Like, it's just not possible. It's not tenable. Ask out. Like, if you either, here's what it comes down to. Either he wants to contend, right? He has to, he, he has to pick one of two things. I'm content to be in Portland with the understanding that they are just operating on a totally different timeline and a, with a totally different set of priorities than I have. And I have to, I'm okay with that because I want to be in Portland. I like being a franchise legend. I like being a one, you know, one team guy and fine. If that's what it is, good for him. But if he wants to contend, then he needs to ask out. Because they don't have any paths available to them to be a contender in the next, let's say, Damon's two, three years at peak. Two, three years, they have no path to that other than Scoot becoming fucking, like, you know, Steph. And even then, they probably won't be able to do it because their roster is so imbalanced. Like, it, they don't have a path to it. So he just needs to ask out. That's what it is. Like, it, there, it, this is not complex to me, but it's it's not complex as a basic decision but it is complex because I do think there are like there's emotion there and there's stuff that like again like the franchise it's easy for us to be like Trey Dame but they probably like the fact that having Dame you know guarantees that they sell out the fucking what is it the Moda Center or the fucking stadium is called um, <laughs> they, that they guarantees they sell out every night you know that's a nice thing to have if you're the owner of the team especially you're probably like. Well, I don't care about basketball. I care about my fucking bottom line. And I know Dame fills that bottom line. I think the mistake is that now that they have Scoot, they probably will fill the stands anyway because this can be like, oh, it's a young, fun team. Like, how fun is this team? You know, I don't care. Like, they just go get the go get the Miami poo-poo platter and call it a day. Get the fucking, you know, Lowry contract, hero, whatever it is. Uh, you know, throw some pick, whatever picks they can give you, get those and just move on. Like it's just, it's over. It's fine. It's, it's been over, right? It's a relationship. Like it's like both you, both of you want to, to, to break up, but neither one wants to be the asshole, but like somebody has got to be the Mm -hmm. asshole. And I, I I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody has to do it. And hopefully it just happens in the next week because look, this is the best time possible for Dame to ask for one. Right, this is the best time for him to make to ask for a trade. It's the off season. You're not fucking anybody over. You're not, you know, throwing this at them. Like if, if for example, he asked for a trade and they're like, "Oh my god, we, how could we see this coming?" Then they're fucking idiots. Um, and look, I just, 
I'm sick of I'm I'm actually I used to love Dame and now I'm at the point where I'm like you're so fucking corny and annoying. Can you just fucking leave, dude? Instead of I'm loyal, I don't run from the grind. Like, okay, cool. Then then just be happy with being in Portland. Right. Just be happy. Just shut up about it. Yeah. Just like like either <laughs> either you're ha- either either that's the case or you want to contend and that's not going to happen in Portland and you should ask out. He's trying to have it every which way and I just I think it's pretty fucking annoying and um you know I. I would like to see Dame get a shot, man. Like, I would like to see him get on a team that has a shot. That's all I like. I think he is a great player, but he's not had a great, he's never had a great shot. And some people will say, well, that tells you something about him. And I, I think it does. But like, he's also his best teammate is CJ McCollum. Like, or sorry, his best teammate was like LaMarcus Aldridge, his first, second year in the league. You know, like that's he's never had a shot. I would like to see him get a shot, and like, and I'd like him to be proactive about going somewhere to get a shot. Yep, I agree. Um, the Simons thing is interesting though, because even if you trade Dame, are you going to keep Simons? Because Scoot, I don't think Scoot and Simons works next. I don't, I don't think they work together. Um, and I also like I don't know if I'm, I know you listened to the low post, but like he had somebody on a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was just a week ago, whatever it was. It's all blending together now. Um, and he was like, he he just did this whole thing where he's like, you know, I'm going to say something and I'm like, oh my god, like, what's going to happen? Is he going to drop some huge truth bomb? And he's like, I don't think the Simons contract is bad. I actually think Simons is a pretty good player. And I was just like, okay. Like, that that was it? That was the big fucking truth bomb? Um <laughs> But like his stock, I mean, just based on that, you know, I I do think Lowe is one of the few guys that I feel like when he says shit like that, he's not. I don't think he's carrying water for anybody. I think he's like actually saying what he has heard. Um, right. If I'm a team, like if I'm Orlando, I am kicking the tires on Anthony Simons. If I'm Houston, and I don't have a fucking point guard, I'm kicking the tires on Anthony Simons. Like. I think he's on a decent. I think he's on a pretty dick, solid contract. He's still very young. He's got a very explosive scoring skill set. Um, I would kick tires on him, but I'm curious. Like, what would Portland want? And are they trying to put pieces around Scoot, or would they be interested in just like give us a couple picks and whatever expiring salary and keep it moving? Like, I. But I, I would be very interested. I think Simons in the right situation could be a real player. Do you think that Simons and Scoot don't work because of the size? I don't think Simons will ever be good enough to play with a guy like Scoot. So may, unless Scoot, may, and I could be totally wrong, maybe Scoot ends up being a lockdown defender, but you're betting on Scoot to be a primary offensive engine. And those guys, mm-hmm. asking him to also be like a lockdown defender is very difficult. So I don't know how that combination will work. And both those guys have... Their offensive utility is largely tied to putting the ball in their hands, um, mm-hmm. and obviously, like, look, there's enough usage between two guys to go around, but just a very odd overlap. I think I would prefer to break that up and really try to put better pieces around, better supporting pieces, ancillary pieces around, um, not just Scoop, but also Shaden Sharp, who they like a lot. And also, by the way, like, I like Shaden Sharp a lot, but. Some of the stuff, like, they wouldn't trade him for anything, and he's fucking amazing. He's, like, this key part of the core already. Like, I mean, I know he had some nice games last year, but let's relax, like, before we put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Shaden is, 
first of all, clearly super talented. His um, athleticism is crazy. Right, his athleticism is crazy, and he's six six. He can play guard wing. So this isn't like, you know, he's what he's twenty years old. But like, he was. They were playing like all the shade and run the last 20, 30 games. They, those were the most meaningless games you'll ever. I was watching those games because I was one of the people who wanted to see how Cam would do, you know, when he was on the Blazers. And th- those games were pickup games on both ends of the court. Like the Blazers were terrible. Um, and so I don't think there's anything you can really discern about Shaden Sharp as a player from those performances last year because there's just so little correlation between what he was doing on the court in those games and what he'll be doing in games that actually matter, whether that's next year or, you know, a few years down the line. Um, So I agree with you. I I think, I think the praise has gotten a little out of hand if the praise was in reaction to some of the games he played last season. I, I just don't think those are warranted. I think Sharps, I think he's a really good prospect. I just, yeah, I just, those, those were very, very bad basketball game. It was just, yeah, it was just bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's fine. He's a rookie. He's super young. He didn't play at Kentucky or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, like the Blazers, they just need to pull up the plug. And I suspect that if he gets moved, it'll be to Miami. Um, that just feels like that's a move that needs to happen. And it was so insane that they were like, remember that report that came out this week? It was like, oh, they're they're going to make an offer for fucking Bam. Like, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. Pat Riley is going to be like, well, we just made it to the finals. This is probably the perfect time to trade fucking Bam, who's 26 years old. Like, I don't know how that made yeah, it. Zach, Zach Lowe just reported a little while ago that the Miami front office laughed at Portland when they <laughs> called and asked about Bam. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, that's an insane, like, use your fucking brain, man. Like, you know, this is not like calling the Knicks about Julius Randle. Like, this is actually what it would be the 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 comparison for the Knicks is like calling the Knicks and asking them about Jalen Brunson. Like, what? No, we're not trading Jalen Brunson. What the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Um, yeah, no, I, the Warriors thing is I think is pretty interesting. Um, so they dump Jordan Poole, and you know what? They, it was a twenty twenty seven second round pick they attached to him, and the twenty thirty top twenty protected first. And they get back, um, you know, they get back Chris Paul. It's funny to clown it. It is really, it is funny. Like, Chris Paul's career is actually hilarious at this point. Um, I don't know a first ballot Hall. I think he's like, he's got to be the, uh, the one, he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's got to be the first ballot Hall of Famer that got traded the most in his career. Um, and he's been traded at times. He's been good, like an all NBA level good. So it's so funny to think about. Yeah. Um, and also, like, <laughs> I would argue the two most impressive things he's ever done in his career, two of, like, the three probably, are, one, going up 3-2 on Golden State in 2018 and then getting hurt, which is, like, a solid summation of his entire career. <laughs> um, and then, two, getting to the playoffs with that OKC team. And losing in seven to Houston in 2019-2020. I mean, that was just hilarious in its own right. Like, the Rockets thought they were doing something by trading him for Russ. And then Russ, who, who, you know, hadn't won a playoff series since Durant left. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, what's 
the the Thunder had the lowest over under in the league going into that season, and Chris Paul basically just, you know, they did what they did. Um, so this is all to say that yes, I agree that Chris Paul has had one of the more strange careers for a first ball first ballot Hall of Famer. You'll see. Um, I it's also very fun to clown. Uh, it's just funny, like you know, Chris Paul going to Golden State, given like yeah. that that entire history there. But I like I like it. I actually think it's a good move for them on a basketball level. Yeah. Uh, I know that Chris Paul is very like the way he plays is not Warriorsy, right? It's not like oh, we're gonna yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 I actually think like you look at what what was their biggest issue and what's been all for many years. One of their biggest issues is when Steph Curry is on the floor or when he's off the floor, how the fuck do we run an offense? Can we run an offense? Right. And, like, Jordan Poole, I actually, look, I I kind of feel bad for him in the sense of he was, his role has changed multiple times. He probably should have been starting, but there's a whole political element of it, like, where it's like, all right, we're not going to, you're not starting over Clay, dude. I'm sorry. Like, that's just never going to happen here. Um, I get yeah. that. And I think he's he was in his head last year. He gets punched in the face to start the season. That entire thing got glossed over. And like, who knows what the dynamic was? Who knows what the reasoning was for it? Who was at fault? Whatever. It was just a bad spot, bad situation. Vibes were bad. Whatever. I think good for him to get the fuck out. You know, Washington. He'll get all the touches he wants. So that's good. But I also think that because of his kind of disaster season last year, there was a trickle down effect and. A guy like I think it hurt. It hurt like a guy like Kaminga. It hurt a guy like Moody, um, who are young guys. And like when they're playing on the floor with a point guard who has no idea what the fuck he's doing, it's very hard for them to to be to really let like take to flourish themselves. And I think Chris Paul just coming in and like this is the best part for for Chris Paul is like he just gets to be a backup point guard now. That's it. Just come in, play twenty minutes a night, and you get to per- like what is you just mentioned right you know, goes up 3-2, gets injured. Like, the story of his career is getting hurt at, like, the worst times while he's, like, a super key player for the team. He's going to be a key player for the Warriors, but it's a lot more likely he is able to play and stay healthy and be durable in a reserve role where he's not pushing his body. And I like that for him, I think. And I think it's going to be good for Kaminga and Moody, guys. that they, Now they're going to come in. They have You have a point guard, even when Steph's sitting, who can he like Chris Paul in and of himself will provide structure, right? Like that's the one thing we know about Chris Paul, Chris Paul. And I hope that Steve Kerr does not expect Chris Paul to like fucking run around and start setting, you know, cross screens and all this shit. Like I hope that he lets Chris Paul just like, I hope, and I hope Chris Paul just like, look, I'm going to fucking just, when I, I'm on the floor without stuff, I'm just going to like do stuff. All right. I'm just going to run a bunch of high pick and roll and you'll need to live with that. I, I hope there's a middle ground. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because, and I, I think I think the greatness of Kerr is actually going to come out because I would be surprised if he doesn't let Chris Paul do some Chris Paul things, run high pick and roll. But I, I don't think there won't be, I, I don't think there won't be any infusion of Chris Paul learning that style of basketball. And that's really interesting to me. Um you know, they talked to I mean, they talked about it a couple of years ago and they were like, they asked LeBron who he would want to play with more than anyone. And he said, Steph. And then Steph and Draymond talked about on their podcast, you know, LeBron coming to Golden State and stuff. 
Um, there was a little bit of discussion about this off season or something. And like, that's sort of the same thing. Like that would be just really interesting for me to watch because LeBron is so antithetical to what Golden State is. And Chris Ball is the same. Like Chris Ball is just not, and that always made those those Golden State Clippers, like 2014, 2015, when they would play, those games were always really interesting to me because the Clippers were really good, but they were really good in a very basic way. And then the Warriors were really good in just a completely opposite way. And I don't know. I, I, I have always wondered how someone like Chris Paul would do in a system like that because – you know, I remember thinking even before that, there were people who thought Tony Parker was better than Chris Paul. You know, like, and obviously that's laughable. But part of their argument was like, okay, yeah, like Chris Paul has like better stats, but like, can you imagine Chris Paul in the Spurs system? Can you imagine him running and setting, you know, a, making a UCLA cut or, you know, setting a down screen on the post and yada, yada. And it's like, I know he's 38 now, but I, I hope we get to see some of that because I think I think he could thrive uh, in an atmosphere like that. And one thing I will add, I guarantee you we see them use him a little bit in the post like they use Draymond Green. Like, you know how Draymond sometimes they'll just give him the ball with his back to the basket, like 15 feet from the basket, and it's just so obvious he's waiting for some <laughs> cut to open up, but somehow the defense never sees it coming. I bet you we see Chris Paul use like that to, uh, at some point in the season, even though he's only six feet. Um, yeah, no, Chris Paul is. It'll be I, look. I think it's gonna be it'll be fun either way, just to see how it plays out. But I look. I think it's a good move for them, and I think they're a much better team now. Maybe not. Maybe much better is a little bit much. Um, because I he looked he looked really cooked at times last year, but I wonder it's he like did. again it's like he's playing like thirty minutes a night he's a starting point guard that's so different from what they're gonna be asking of him and I just really think that's like interesting and in how he adapts and stuff like I and it's probably one it's one of the few lockers in the league where he can go in and there is no doubt in his mind or anybody's mind who the starting point guard is and that Chris Paul is coming off the bench right like there's no doubt anybody's mind that he's going to be the be- off, coming off the bench. I think that's a good thing. Um, Do you think we see any uh, the the version of the new death lineup except with Paul and Jordan Poole's spot? So Paul, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond? That'd be, that'd be kind of fun. I mean, we'll definitely see it at some point, right? There's no doubt that we'll see yeah. it. Because um, Steve Kerr, uh, unlike certain coaches, does dabble in uh, – Seeing the various potential combinations available to him, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think I think yes. I think we'll see that. I think it'll be interesting. Uh, I, and I, we know what, the interesting thing about this trade, and I, a lot of the trades that we saw, um, is I think you're seeing the ramifications of the new CBA already kicking in. Uh, yeah. Like you called that too. Yeah, I, I think that it, one the pick packages and stuff like that are just way down now. Like you're seeing that. Even the smart thing, I promise you, last summer, if they wanted to trade Marcus Smart, it would have been like, we want four firsts. Like, the the asks were just getting crazy, right? Like, what was it at the deadline? It was McCall Bridges. Some, uh, Memphis apparently offered four firsts for him, and they got turned down. And it's just like the the pick prices for, for certain players was getting so outrageous. Um, I think that's going to come down naturally, especially for, like, maybe for the super-duper stars that move, it won't be the case. But for, like, you know, 
some of the deals we saw were just like DeJounte Murray two first unprotected and a pick swap and a third and a protected first. I'm like, what the hell? Um, the, yeah. oh, even Donovan Mitchell, I did not, I think I did not think he was worth that price. Um, and I get it for Cleveland, but like, again, we see the ramifications of what happens when you make moves like that. Um, but like to bring it back to, um, what I wanted to talk about here, uh, was, yeah, like I, I think, and, and obviously look, the Warriors, they needed to dump salary. So again, this yeah. is part of the new CBA. Like you can't just keep signing a big check and everything is fine. Like they're really big restrictions to being over that second apron that hurt your ability to construct a roster. So it's effectively going to be a hard cap. I'm fine with it because I think as the cap goes up, especially once this new media deal kicks in, it, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And I think, I think maybe by like the next CB round of CBA negotiations, whenever that negotiations, whenever that is, maybe they'll, uh, you know, teams might be like, look, the hard cap is a good idea, but maybe we need to make it higher, whatever. It, it'll be very restrictive at a certain point. Um, the Suns. Can, can yeah. I also just say say just say about the, that trade before we move on to the next one? Um, I, I'm about as down as you can be on Jordan Poole. I just was never that high on him in general. But I'm like really not really, but as excited as I can be for a player that I don't really care about or don't really like. I I, I weirdly think he's going to be like rejuvenated and. I just think the Wizards made a lot of good moves uh, for a team that was kind of directionless for a long time and kept trying to win but, like, couldn't win. And, yeah, they were just in purgatory. And, I mean, who knows what will happen with Kuzma. But, um, I mean, they're, they're going to bottom out heavy next year, which is fine. But Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole weirdly accommodate each other, uh, especially offensively pretty well. Um, I'm higher on Advia than most people are. I, I still think he's a good player. Kispert came on really strong at the end of last season. Like those four plus Gafford, I mean, they're not going to do anything, but they'll be, they'll be competent. And all of a sudden they just, they have a direction now. So I, I mean, I know a lot of people were like, Oh, they didn't get any first for Beal and Porzingis. And then, that tune changed a little bit when the the Paul Poole trade happened because yeah. you kind of have to count that as part of the Beal trade. Well, and people were so – there were people that were like – I saw Warriors fans and other people being like, well, why didn't the Warriors just – why didn't they Why didn't they do this for Porzingis? And I'm like, are you fucking dense? Like, why would the – the Wizards would have overall gotten less, like, if they yeah. did it that way. So that's why it didn't happen. Like – and, and yeah. look, this, these are probably things you know. The way that happened, we teams have talked for months. Like they probably had an idea of okay, what would it take to get a Jordan Poole, right? Uh, okay, what would it take? What what can we get for Porzingis? All these type of things. This is not an accident that it happened the way it happened. Like it happened that way for a reason. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like I think, look, Jordan Poole is going to be a high volume, high usage chucker this year with with the Wizards, and maybe he'll suck. I, I'm almost certain they will suck. Maybe he will suck, or maybe he will put up a decently efficient 25 points per game, look good, and even if he's not their point guard of the future, eventually they can move him for value. I think it's a good flyer for them to take. The cap space, they're going to have plenty of cap space after the season anyway. Um, and Tyus Jones, I suspect, um, 
they will keep him into the season. I don't suspect he will finish the season there, which is interesting. Um, I think he'll get moved. I would be interested, again, like, I think Orlando is a good spot. I, Orlando needs a point guard. I don't love their point guard. I, they have a lot of point guards. I'm not sure any of them are actually good at point guarding. Um, I would yeah. like for them to get a good point guard. I think Tyus would be interesting there. Again, Anthony Simons, to me, they should roll the dice. I, I, that would make a lot of sense. But Tyus will have a market. They can flip him if they want down the line. Or maybe he's good enough. And, like, we've seen this as Knicks fans. We know this very, very uh, keenly is there is never a bad time to have a solid, stable point guard. Never a bad time for that. Yep. Even on a rebuilding team. Maybe even especially on a rebuilding team. Um, I think Tyus will be good for them. And yeah, I, I think they did fine. I think they did fine in that trade. I think they did well in that trade. Especially considering they got picks for to take on the pool contract. Uh, and I think they did well. They did fine enough overall. You know, like the people were killing them on the Porzingis trade because they didn't get a first or whatever. Like, it's a weird trade. Like, because you got to kind of think about it as, as they basically prioritized getting Tyus over the picks, I think, or one of the picks at least. And they still got 35 in that in that trade. So that's like high second. That's fine. It's effectively the same overall kind of quality of pick as the, what was it? They got, I think the Celtics got the 25th pick in that deal. Yeah. So it's like effectively like, I mean, obviously you prefer to be higher than lower, but it's the same kind of quality. So I think they did fine there. What did you make of the Bradley Beal trade? Because I thought initially people were like, I can't believe this is all that Bradley Beal went for. I did not want any part of the Bradley Beal contract as a Knicks fan. I thought like the fact that he wouldn't waive his no trade clause, apparently made me like, once that came out, I was like, I would not want him at all then because I don't view Bradley. I would view Bradley Beal. Like I'm sure you watched, um, uh, Jeremy's pod that he did about trading for Zach Levine as like a stepping stone to yeah. getting another guy. Like that's what I would want Bradley Beal for, right? It's like, oh, he's a stepping stone to something else eventually. But he might not be, because he might just be like, that's cool that you guys have made a deal, but I now exercise my no trade clause. You can't fucking get me out of here. Um, you know, it's it's just get out of jail. Like it doesn't matter if you traded me because I don't accept. Uh I do not want any part of that. I do not want any part of that massive deal he was on for four more years and i think this is i think they actually did fine in this trade they got all the seconds and they got all the swaps that they could get like what else were they gonna do you know yeah i that you nailed it i i had no 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 interest in bradley beal i've never really thought too highly of him if i'm being honest um he's like a really nice aesthetically pleasing player to watch when he's on especially um, yeah, but I agree. I, I've never, shoot. yeah, I've just never felt like, um, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Like I just, he just has never moved the needle in a way that I think makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's because he's, he's not, a, he's not a great passer. So like, you don't want him to be your primary initiator because he's basically just going to be a scorer. Um, you basically at this point need to be like Michael Jordan level of scoring from a guard, from the guard. If you're going to not pass very much, which Bradley Beal isn't, he's shooting less threes than ever. And now his defense is as bad as it's ever been. Oh, it's yeah, just, it's terrible. he is, 
I, I, I don't really get it. I don't. And now, so, and then now you're sending him to the Suns where his best skill is going to be suppressed because he's playing next to Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. He just won't get the volume, is, right? Like he just won't get the volume. Right. His, 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 his volume will be as low as ever. And in turn, his weaknesses are going to be amplified. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it at all. I'm glad the Knicks didn't get him. And that's just another example of what we were talking about at the start of the podcast. Like, people are so obsessed with having a take that they would like they would almost rather the Knicks traded for Beal so they could talk about it and have a take about it than not trade for Beal. And that makes them mad. You know, they're like, oh God, we could have had Beal for this. And it's just silly. Um, there's no there would have been no logic behind the Knicks trading for Beal at all. He wouldn't have fit. Him and Brunson would have been a really, really bad defensive backcourt. He would have been the third option here, like he's going to be in Phoenix. Uh, yeah. I'm, I think that – I don't – and there seem you know what's weird about it too is there seems to be a lot of people who are like, yeah, I don't really love it from a value perspective for Phoenix, but they're going to win the title. And it's like, I don't – is Phoenix going to win the championship next year? I mean, maybe, I guess. Kevin Durant's really good, and Devin Booker's really good, but I don't know. I just, I don't like the path they've taken at all. I don't um, – I I probably would have just stood pat. Uh, you, you said it on the podcast. Like, they, they were a really good basketball team. It sort of reminds me of the Lakers uh, after the Lakers coincidentally lost to the Suns. In 2021, yeah, and then it was just like we have to get a third. They, we have to get a third creator. We have to get a third creator. It's like okay, fine, but like maybe just don't go get Russ. Like maybe. That's- but also, they didn't have to. Yeah, they didn't. They were up two one on the Suns before Anthony Davis got hurt. They had like the perfect team around LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then after making that trade for Russ, they spent two years trying to get back to. The team that they already had, like they had Contavious Caldwell Pope, they had Alex Caruso, they had Kyle Kuzma, two-time champ. They had KCC. such a good, yeah, they they had such a good team, and like it was just, it never made any sense. And the Suns, they had Macal Bridges, they had Cam Johnson. Like I just don't get what they're doing, and it's almost like they have a really, really incompetent, proven to be incompetent person, yeah, in their front office making decisions. Yeah, I just I will But you were told you were told you were told he was good on Twitter. <laughs> that was ago, so, so funny. I was like, what are you talking yeah. like, You don't know what you're talking about. All right, Rob. You, why don't you keep like, yesterday he tweeted out that the Knicks had a deal for a first round pick. I was like, all right, buddy. So that sucks. We're not getting a first round pick then. Um I was I was literally just about to say, like, look, God bless him for making that song, you know, the Friday Night Knicks song, because like that's awesome. I love that song. But what a what a strange existence, man. Like, that's all I have to say is, like, all he does is tweet out stuff that isn't true. So, like, is he in on the bit? Or I don't know. We don't have to talk about it. But I just have to say, like, that's just really, really odd to me. Um, yeah. But the uh, – that – that all that stuff that the – that Phoenix has done, I'm just like, are you a better team? Like, I doesn't right. feel like it. I don't really understand it. Um, I, I totally understood we need to get better. We need somebody more dynamic to create other than Booker, especially with Paul getting older. I, I get all that. I agree with all that. 
I just don't understand why it was like, well, we have to just go all in to get Kevin Durant. And this like always this is like why when people talk to me about this stuff with the Knicks, I don't understand it. Where it's like, like oh well, Leon was brought in to bring in stars, and he's like that's what he's here to do. And it's like okay, well, can I be happy the Knicks have a good basketball team though that he con- helped construct? Like is that okay? We're, we're 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 like it just feels sometimes it's like, and I, it, this is not just Knicks fans, but it felt like especially the last few years that it was almost like an expectation, and people were almost happier if a team made some huge asset play in a, in, in a trade, even if it didn't pan out. And it's like, well, they went for it. You got to respect that. And like, I do respect the notion of going for it, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like you don't get brownie points because you went for it. If it doesn't work and another team that didn't go for it is better. Like it's like Kobe Altman got votes for G, like executive of the year, right? Like he got more than Leon did. And I'm like, how do you fucking come to that conclusion? Like how, how is that? I don't understand that at all. It makes no sense. Um, so, look, that Suns thing is just fucking crazy. I don't think a team has ever been... I mean, they basically have no flexibility at all for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Like, none. They've got Durant on that huge contract. Booker's Supermax kicks in, I think, next year. Um, Beal's obviously already on his Supermax. They literally have traded every pick they can trade. And eight. Yeah, and eight. Aiden's on $35 million a year. They need to trade him. They need to find a way to flip him into like multiple different pieces. Um, funny enough, uh, if they could convince uh, a team they traded with in the uh, Washington Wizards to to give them Tyus Jones and Daniel Gaffer for DeAndre Aiden, that would be a nice trade. Uh, but that's not going to happen. So, like, I they'd have to turn it into something. But they have traded every, literally every pick they can possibly trade, first and second round. They have traded every swap they can trade now out until 2030. They literally do not have control of anything related to draft picks until then. That is an insane place to be. I mean, they the worst place to be, I've, I said this before, like, when you don't have any options in anything in life, that's the worst place to be. They literally have no options. Their options are like blow the team up eventually, but even that's going to be difficult because these new aprons coming in. And because they don't have control of any of their own picks, so what do you bl- like? If you blow it up and then you suck, you like you don't even get the benefit of that. Um, it's a very, very interesting spot. I don't know what they were thinking, um, but who knows, man? I, there. I mean, my my uh, my my guess is what they were thinking is similar to what the Lakers were thinking when they made that trade. Kevin Durant's going to get hurt. We need a we third creator to help. We, we, we need, yeah, we need someone to help Devin Booker, you know, when, when that happens. And I don't, the thing that I said at the time when they trade, when the Lakers traded for us was why are you preparing for outcomes that don't matter? If one of Anthony Davis or LeBron James got hurt, you're fucked. He's fucked anyways. Yes. <laughs> you're fucked anyways, whether you have Russell Westbrook or don't have Russell Westbrook. So optimize the good outcomes and don't worry about the neg- the, the the ones that don't matter. Like if Kevin Durant gets hurt, there you're not winning anything. It doesn't. It's it. It really doesn't matter. Um. So why not build the best team you can around Booker, Durant, and Aiden? Why I don't. Yeah, it's just it. It was. And and like I thought it was not a lot when the Suns made the trade and I was just like, okay, well, 
it doesn't seem like a ton that the Suns are giving up, but Beal's still on a really bad contract, and like I still just don't feel great about uh, relatively, given the fact that they have four All Star three. You know, you know what I'm saying. And then it came out that the Suns swapped or traded every single pick until 2030, and it was just like, Jesus Christ, man! Like, what? They're like you said, they are just they're hamstrung forever. I, I if I were a Suns fan right now. First of all, I wouldn't feel any emotional connection to any player besides Devin Booker. It's so weird. It sucks. Yeah. Like, it would, it was just, you, what did you call it? You, oh, you called it a Frankenstein team, which was like perfect. It was just, it, it would just be really hard. And so I would be sitting here and I would be like, okay, well, I'm a Suns fan at heart, but they better, they better win a title. Like, that, that yeah. is, that is basically what it is <clears throat> at this point because. If they don't win a title in the next, you know, year or two, you're you're not you're just yeah. Like, what do you, you don't get to be like? Well, at least we got to appreciate like the journey of these various players. It's just like no, like this is this is as all in. You know, like I fucking make fun of the Nets all the time, uh, but like this is this is as all in. There's no more all in you can get. This is like you fucking you're. This is you know uh, what's his name, Mike, whatever the fuck his name is, and. Uh, in rounders, Mike yeah, Mike McDermott. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, he's this is you're fucking sitting there with Teddy KGB. Uh, you better hope that you flop the nuts straight because otherwise you are fucked, buddy. Um, but like it, it, <laughs> it is wild to me. I don't know. I just can't imagine it. Um, you know, one thing we talked about Dame. We talked about Miami. Another, the only other team that's really been connected to him or trading for him is is Brooklyn, and I actually think. Look, if they view McCall Bridges, which is its own insane thing to me, if they view McCall Bridges as such a good player that they can't even, why would we trade him for Anthony Simons in number three, the number three overall pick? By the way, I would have fucking done that trade in five seconds, even before I knew Scoot was going to be on the board. Um, I would have done. I would have done. It. Yeah, and I'm much higher on McCall. That's if, if that was actually on the table and they turned it down. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. I agree. Isn't Bridges is like he turns 28 this year, right? think so 27 right? or 28 i can check 27 yeah, it might be i can check it right now but like okay if but like either way if that's their evaluation of call bridges it's he's 26 um then then you should fucking then go for it just go go get name go get a bunch of picks and and make it happen because i, I don't like you don't control your picks anyway um you, they have all these sons picks right and I think they can kind of have their cake and eat it too. Like I think they could probably do two of the Suns picks that they like. I guess they have three remaining. I think you could do two of those. And I think you could do the Mavericks pick. And I think they have one of their own. Pick. They have options in terms of pick packages they can throw out there. Go get him. Just go and fucking do it. I don't know. I think they should try it. Like if, or at least make an offer. You know, I, Dame has the equity where. I think they will send if Miami and Brooklyn both make offers. I think they will send him to whichever one he gives his blessing to. Like, and and he deserves that type of kind of leverage, I guess you could say. Um, but I don't know. They should do something because they're sitting here with like 15 billion wings on the roster. They drafted two kids last night. I like Noah Clowney a lot. Derek Whitehead is an interesting prospect, but like they. Have the, and it's like this kind of ties into the Knicks thing for a different reason, but like there's no pathway to these guys getting minutes in all likelihood on their roster next year, not serious minutes anyway. And I don't really understand that they need to make a consolidation trade. Them and the Pelicans to me are just like 
I don't... They're not fucked. Neither team is fucked. But neither team... I'm just like, what? Like, when are you going to just consolidate some of this stuff? Because to me, it feels like they have way too much depth in a way, right? And look, the Pelicans, they took Jordan Hawkins last night at 14. Like, seems a good enough prospect, but what's his pathway to minutes? And if he does get minutes, who's the, is it going at the expense of Dyson Daniels, who you took eighth last year? Like, these are teams to me that are just screaming out for consolidation trades. And, and I throw this back to you. We can kind of close on some Knicks oriented thoughts. I do wonder if some element of like not making a pick last night and, and being a little bit cautious about trading into the draft and stuff like that is about, do we want to create a situation where we need to consolidate? Because right now the Knicks are like, they're, they're right at like the perfect line where you're like, don't need to consolidate. Like they don't need to, it's kind of okay. Um, whereas like I look at teams around the league and by the way, this is also a case for expansion. There's way too much talent now. Um, but like, I just look at some of these teams around the league and I'm like, man, Brooklyn has a bunch of dudes and fucking Pelicans have a bunch of dudes and maybe they're not a great team collectively together, but they have a bunch of guys that can help other teams. And it's just weird to see them like not address that yet. I mean, it is early in the off season to be fair, very early in the off season. So maybe that's the thing both teams get around to, but look, I would have, I would have done the Zion. I would have traded Zion for number three straight up for the record. Like I, I'd be over Zion if I were the Pelicans at this point. Like I understand that, when he's on the floor, the dude is a fucking phenom. Um, but he's not on the floor. Basketball player's got to play. If he's not yeah. going to play, and he, if he's miserable there, and and it's not like he's not a guy that is like if Jalen Brunson was miserable in New York, which obviously is not not going to happen. But if he was, I still guarantee you that guy will show up for work every day. He will fucking put his hard hat on, and he will give you an honest effort every single night. He'll give you everything he's got. Zion is clearly not wired that way. He's clearly not wired that way. And they have to either change the existing environment around him, which apparently they've made some steps to, or they should trade him. And I would have traded him, man. If I could get Simon, I think Simon's in three, especially once that was the scoot pick. That's a really good package to me. Like, to, I, I look at that and I'm like, I can't believe if I, like, if I were the Celtics, I'd have been like, we'll give you Jalen. I'll, I'll give you Jalen Brown for that package. I, I firmly, like, would do that. Um. Yeah. I, I just, I think that look the Zion thing, the New Orleans stuff there is fucking bananas. But I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on what I said about both those teams, and um, you know, with regard to the Knicks' decision making at the draft and kind of what they're facing in some ways this summer. So maybe I'm. I agree with you about the Nets, but um, I don't think the Pelicans are there yet. Mm-hmm. I think the Pelicans are more just weird because. They seem to just sort of have a very sporadic timeline, like with who their players are. Mm. Like, there's no consistency to me to what they're trying to do, even within their stars. You know, they they kind of have a big three when healthy. But you know, CJ's 33, 32, 33. Ingram's you know mid twenties, and then Zion's low twenties, um, which is fine because uh, you kind of are keeping the timeline alive for the foreseeable future, but it just doesn't seem, it seems like the Pelicans are trying to do too many things. And in my opinion, narrowing the scope is always better. Um, Somebody really smart uh, once said that it's 
better to do one thing really well than, you know, uh, a lot of things poorly. Um, and it, I, I just feel like the Pelicans are trying to do too many things right now. But as far as, like, the depth they have, uh, you're going to have to sort of enlighten me because it feels like, and to me, off the top of my head, you know, they've got – they, they've got uh, they, now they've got Hawkins and McCollum and Dyson Daniels and um, the McCollum contract. Uh, Trey, 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 Trey Murphy and Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion and Jonas, but that's like eight guys. Well, they have so they have Nance, they have Nance Junior. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's there though. Like he's he's got to play. He's there. He's there. Like, he's gonna play. Nance. Junior. I don't think. I don't think. I just don't think he's like moving the needle. Like if they need. I mean, they they still have Alvar. What Alvarado? Is that who it is? Alvarado, Alvarado yeah. still there. Jose Alvarado. Uh, they've got that guy Najee Marshall. He plays for them. And Najee Marshall. Yeah. Herbert Jones. Herb Jones still plays for them. Mm-hmm. Like I just think they have a bunch, and and it's not just the players. It's also. They have all these picks still coming, right? They've got the Lakers picks, and they have their yeah. own picks. Like to me, it's just like what they also they have a weirder. It's not weirder, but it's like they also kind of a Frankenstein roster. And part of it is because Zion and Ingram have just never they've played so little time together that you're like we kind of don't even know what exactly we need to put around them. Like what? Like what exactly are the pieces that we? And part like this is a, I, I do think like with the Knicks are a little bit informed. In making their decisions because their guys fucking play. Like Randall plays, Brunson plays, RJ plays, Quickly plays. All these dudes play, so it's a lot easier, or at least a lot safer, to make educated decisions on how to improve your roster at the end of a, a season. Whereas with the Pelicans, it's like Zion doesn't play, Ingram misses half the season every year. At that point, like, and those are your two stars, right? So it's like, what the fuck do we do? Like, who are we supposed to get around them? So a guy like Trey Murphy is good because. He can just slot in anywhere, right? There's no not much thinking yeah. that needs to be done about it. But who was your initial? Like, I think they CJ McCollum was good for them when they traded them or traded for him. And why is that? Well, partially it's because Zion was out, so he, he was the second scorer. He had the ball; it was easy. When Zion was healthy this year, I know they were nineteen and nine, but I would watch them and I'm like, I don't really understand like what's going on. Like, I know Ingram missed a bunch of time. It, and and McCollum yeah, also even, even before yeah. even before Zion got hurt, I remember they were the one seed. Yeah, like literally they were the one seed, and and this is just to go along with your point. I was just like, yeah, but like, but are they? You know, like yeah. are are they really the one? You know, like um, and so yeah, I agree with you. I'm sorry for butting in, but I was just gonna say like, yeah. they, they, there doesn't really seem to be a ceiling there for this core, um. And so obviously, and the funny thing about saying that, because I said it earlier and I was thinking of this when I said it, people, people automatically think when you say something like that, that what you mean by that is, okay, they should just blow it up and rebuild. We're kind of past that. Like, I don't even think that exists the, now the, in the co- league. Like, look at a team like Washington where they blew it up. But like, even then, they're getting useful players. Again, there's too much talent yeah. in the league now. There's too much talent. You, yeah. you, you can't just have roll out a roster with like, this is, you're never going to have that 76ers like Ishmith is our best player <laughs> roster. Like it's just not going to fucking happen. Right. And, and also I, and this is probably the best development that has happened in the NBA over the last like 10 years. There's not an appetite for that from ownership level. It seems like I think owners are like, I'm not saying that every team is like, we want to win the championship this year, but it doesn't feel like there's a much appetite for, we're going to do a two or three year blow it up and rebuild thing. I mean, maybe that's what you're doing, but I, but like you're 
not trying to be a joke. You're not trying to just suck. Teams are trying to be competitive night and night, night, night. And that's kind of like why Houston stood out so much this year, right? They weren't even the worst team in the league in terms of record, but they were just so, there was just such an embarrassment as like a professional organization watching them play. Whereas even a team like Detroit, who sucked ass, at least I would watch them and I'd be like, okay, they suck, but like they're not, they play like a professional basketball team and they are like interested in trying to win basketball games. Houston was just like, oh, we're gonna have Kevin Porter run fucking point, and you're like, what? Like, and that's that's the that's the value in. I mean, you basically just created the pitch for you know coaches like Tibbs, mm-hmm. you know, because the the Pistons have Dwayne Casey, who is a professional coach who knows how to coach a defense. The Rockets have Silas, Silas you know, like, and and I I do think you know we're, we're kind of hopping around here, but. From the Rockets' perspective, you know, say what you want to about Udoka's personal, whatever is going on there. I do, there's reason to be excited there that they're bringing in a real coach to like coach these kids. You know, like they, I don't know. The, the Rockets have felt sort of screwed for a few years, even with all these top oh, yeah. picks for the reason that you, Udoka is like, he, like he's going to come in there, and there will be casualties. There will be casualties. He's not. He's going to come in there, and I think within like the first hour of fucking practice, he's going to be like Kevin Porter Jr. You're fucking done. Like you are done. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Like there are going to be guys. He like Alper and Shangun. I remember we talked about this during the season. But his, I'm like, look, there's bad defense. Obviously, there's a lot of bad defenders in the NBA. And then there's what I saw from this guy when I watched them play, like. Honestly, worse than Ennis Cantor on defense. Like it is unbelievable how bad and oftentimes just disinterested lack of like it was unbelievable to watch it. I'm like th- that game when quickly dropped forty on them. Yes, I was enjoying the quickly show, but some of this and like some of the shit you'd see Shangun do during that game, I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, and and that's the it's the type of shit. If he does that, Yudoka is going to like. And, you know, Yudoka's entire thing in Boston was just, like, constantly challenging his team's manhood. Like, he's going to be fucking outrageous in Houston. Yeah. I'm so excited to watch them, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's a good thing. I think it, like, the, like it's, the, it's the Tibbs pitch, right? Like, Tibbs was brought in here to do a thing. And whatever we want to say about him now, there is no question, none at all, in my opinion, he has been successful for the very, very basic task of establishing baseline professional competency and and respect, really, from, like, your peers. Like, the Knicks were a joke, and, like, I don't think they're viewed like that now. Houston is a, was a joke for the last three years, and they were talked about like a joke. And I promise you, by the end of next season, they will no longer be talked about like that. Like, Ime Udoka, whatever, like you mentioned, the off-court stuff, whatever, on the court, they will be a professional basketball team. No doubt in my mind. Yep, and that I mean, and they they have they have a young core that can grow together. They really just I mean they should have gotten Tyus Jones. That's that's they they could they still could they got a lot of picks. Yeah, they no they they still they still could. I mean honestly, there there could be if Monty Morris asks out of Washington because like I mean Monty Morris is basically just worse Tyus Jones. Yeah. They're basically the same player, just like. Super efficient. Don't turn the ball over. Never ever. turn the <laughs> never turn the ball over. Solid passers, solid organizers can shoot a little bit. 
Monty's just kind of worse at everything and a little bit older, but like there would be value in the Rockets going and getting someone like Monty Morris just to just to have someone to because it's not going to be Kevin Porter Jr. Oh my god, can't do it. Like, um, like, and this is like, like, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, uh, it it makes it funny that uh, I think it was you who posed the question of like number four and. What for quickly? For quickly, and, and well, like, it was like quickly and eleven, whatever it was. I don't, whatever the exact rate. Yeah, um, quickly and eleven for number four, and it's like if you just replace Kevin Porter Jr. with Emmanuel quickly on this Rockets team, they would make the playoffs by twenty twenty four, by by twenty twenty five. Excuse me, but they would be a playoff. This Rockets team would be a playoff team within a season, in my opinion, if you just put quickly in Kevin Porter Jr. spot. Kevin Porter Jr. and and I think and I think quickly would probably be in all star discussions this season. Kevin Porter Jr. <laughs> is fucking unreal to watch that guy play, man. He's one of the you you brought up the quickly forty point game. It was terrible. But like yeah. remember, like remember Kevin Porter Jr. like thought they were going back and forth yes. and like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also it was like I don't think quickly realized it. Like he was like yeah, he was just playing. Like that was actually one of. I mean, I know it was the Rockets, so it's not even close to his best game. But it was like a very – he was like so dialed in that game. I remember watching him. And he was like – you know, like that Celtics game, right, where he goes off. He's like prancing around and all that type of shit. That Rockets game, he was like fucking locked in. It was very interesting. Um, it was also the first game after his little incident with Julius but um, in Orlando. But like, yeah, either way, the, the, that Kevin Porter Jr. stuff, that, that guy is a fucking joke, man. He's just an absolute embarrassment of a player. And, to, like, you know – to be fair to him, though, it's like you're asking him to be James Harden. He's not James Harden. Like, I hate when this this this, this thing that happens. And this is like one of my things with Boston, where I think I, it's like you actually need a primary ball handler, and you can have the best wings in the world. That doesn't mean they're going to be good primary ball handlers. Like that. Like this is why Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. This is why LeBron James and Dwayne Wade were such unique combinations and legendary combinations because they were wing guys that could literally do that shit like they didn't need a true point guard or whatever you want to call it but like asking kevin porter jr to be james harden is just such a fucking mistake man it's like he's not he's not james harden that's not a crime like you're not a fucking hall of famer or mvp like oh no you know um and and really the thing that sucks is i just feel like it's such a disservice to a guy like Jalen Green, who I thought that was a bad pick. I would have taken Evan Mobley. So I'm really not a bad pick. I thought they should have just taken Evan Mobley, better way to put it. But, like, he's a scorer. You know, he's a scoring guard. And you put him next to this probably the worst point guard situation in the NBA for the first two years of his contract, of his first two years of his career. And it's like, that's just so insane to me. You know, I mean, like, you know, you talked about you know, how the Knicks maybe haven't prioritized RJ appropriately. I would say Houston has tried to prioritize Jalen Green, but they've just done it in the most fucking ass backwards way. And it's like, like, you don't just give him, it's kind of like the Knox thing, right? Where like Fizzo is like, oh, I'll just give you as many fucking shots as you want. And there's no repercussions for anything. Knox is a great yeah, comparison. There's no repercussions. Not in terms of who, not in terms of who Jalen Green is, but in terms of like what the Rockets are doing. They're just like throwing him into the deep end and being like, "Yeah, just shoot a bunch," you know. Like yeah. you'll figure it and, out. And not just that. And there's there's no repercussions for anything. There's no like, and this is like the best thing that Yudoka will. Because I promise you, if Jalen Green's out there, 
chucking up bullshit, and then he starts arguing with the ref and not getting back on defense or something, he's like that. That's you're done. Like you're sitting on the bench for, with me for the next five minutes. And they need that. They need a guy that's going to instill authority. And one thing you know about Yudoka, and like I, honestly, it says something about how much kind of like a fucking alpha he must be. All those Boston guys this year would not shut the fuck up about him. All of them, like Smart, yeah. Tatum, Jalen Brown, they were all talking about. I think I, I forgot who it was. It might have been Smart, or might have been I don't know one of those guys. But like they did an interview sometime in the season, and they were like, they were still like, oh, you know, Yudoka's the best coach I've had. It's like, like they're still talking about this guy. He he's gonna be huge for them. They need they need exactly what he's gonna bring. And again, I am actually excited to watch that team because. They do have a lot of young talent. They do have a lot of like guys that I like. Like I like Tari Eason. You know, I think he's like a fun fucking player. But when you don't have any structure and there's no organization to anything, all that stuff gets muted. You know, the impact of guys gets muted. And honestly, I I talked about this with Prez yesterday on the, on the stream we did. But like, they're a team that I'd be very interested. Like, I think smart teams will start poaching some of their guys that are coming to the end of their rookie contracts over the next year, two years, um, because they're going to just bleed talent because they've drafted so many guys and they don't have space for them. They don't have time to develop them. Um, yeah, you didn't yeah. even mention uh, K.J. Martin. Yeah, K.J. Martin. Who I, I, I like him a lot, too. I like him. Like There are guys that I, I just like on their roster, and I'm like, can you leave, though? Like like Josh Christopher. I don't know if he's good <laughs> or not. Um, he's not a great shooter. He's got some issues, but like, when I've watched him, there's like stuff about him I like. Like I like he gets downhill. I mean, there's who's the uh, the short guy that plays the four for them? I can't think of his name. Short He's a lefty. Plays the four. Uh, oh, um, uh, Jay Sean Tate. Yeah, like I don't think he's like some world beater, but like I actually think that guy could be a contributor on a real playoff team. But he's kind of just hidden there, and you know whatever it is, we'll see. But like. He uh, he's an interesting player. I like actually. I mean, I know they're not like for like players, but if Bruce Brown leaves, which I expect him to leave, I mean, like, I wonder if they could try to swing a trade for a guy like Jay Sean Tate. Um, I, I, Bruce Brown. There's a guy for Houston to go after. That's one. Oh, we didn't. Even cl- let's close with this because I am very very interested about this. And I think this is a good way to end it. Two things about this. Okay, Sacramento trades. Uh, by the way, good moves from da- unfortunately by Dallas yesterday. Moving down from ten to twelve to dump Bertans, getting a traded player exception, and then moving back into the draft by using by absorbing the Rishon Holmes contract to get to the twenty fourth pick. I thought that was a really good set of moves for them. Um, but like the flip side is the Kings did the Knicks thing. They did the Knicks thing. They traded out of the draft entirely uh, to dump a contract to clear cap space to create cap space, and I did not hear boo. About oh, what are they doing? What's their plan? Who are they targeting? Fucking, they didn't get ripped yeah. apart for fifteen days. About they didn't even get anything. <laughs> they literally just got cap space. They did not get a single asset out of it. I know that the eleventh pick is different from the twenty fourth pick, but like, come on! If the Knicks did that same exact trade, nobody's giving them the benefit of the doubt, which I find funny. But the more important part of this, not the Knicks part of it, um, they have about thirty four million in cap space now. I think I think they can get up to thirty eight, depending on you know who they decline and all that type of shit. Draymond Green's out there. He is fucking perfect for them. He is perfect yes. for them. He is literally the guy who can make Sabonis at the five work. 
he can make that work. Right. He's a one-man defense. I know he's not the player he was, but he's still... I, I, I don't think the drop-off is that significant. I just think we've watched him for so long that we're like, are you really like you're never gonna shoot the ball like that? that that's it. Like you're just never gonna shoot. Um, but I think he'd be awesome there. I really, I, I love Steph. I wish him all the success in the world. But I really want to see. I think Draymond there would be fucking awesome. I kind of, I really want it to happen. It would also just be funny. Like it would, just, <laughs> like just Draymond is Draymond, yeah. and then you put Draymond with. Everything he's done, like, I, I mean, a good way, all of his accolades, all of his team success, in a in a place like Sacramento that, you know, whatever. Like, let's just be honest, he's not going to get away with what he gets away with in Golden State. It won't. It, it's not going to happen. Um, and like, it would just be funny to watch. Um, and then also, like, you know, he's going to try it. He would try and like be. Dr- turning that franchise into, you know, a serious thing. And Golden State has ways of doing things. And look, I'm burying the lead here because the the on-the-court stuff is much more interesting. Uh, But just that you can't ignore the the off-the-court stuff when the guy literally an off-season ago punched one of his teammates. (laughs) You know, like this is just – this is a part of the package with Draymond Green. But on the court, I mean, Draymond's legitimately one of – the best room protectors in the league still like, okay, you get that at the power forward position, which helps when Sabonis is your center. Um, you have Sabonis. The The whole offense is Sabonis with the handoffs. Okay. Well, Draymond is a really gifted passer like that too. So he fits right in to that motion offense. Um, they play fast. Yeah, we know I, I Draymond think- wants to play fast. Yep. Like he, it's just yeah, it's perfect. It really is perfect. You put you put Dray, you put Draymond in a high IQ motion offense with players who like to move and cut, and then you tell him, yeah, but our one weakness is defensively we can't really protect the rim very much. It's just it doesn't really get much better than that. And mm-hmm. I mean Fox, Keegan Murray, Draymond Green, Sabonis, and one of Herder and or Monk. It's a fucking good team, man. That's a that's a really really good look. Team. I've I've said it before. Like I have crazy thoughts about Draymond. Like I have seriously been like, would we be better if we traded Randall for Draymond Green? And like I don't actually have any idea of how to answer that question because they're so different as players. But like I just think if you get like if you can add a guy like Draymond, you should tr- add a guy like Draymond. Like he is just I, I think he he plays with an intensity that I think is like super important. And some of that is it can, you know, he, he walks that line. He's always walking that line. There's a bad side to it. Obviously we've seen a lot of that, you know, punching your team in the face is not a good thing. Um, like, but we've seen a lot of the bad stuff, but you live with that. There's a reason why the warriors have lived with that and have worked around it and have like dealt with it because it's fucking worth it. Like the guy plays and he, he plays like he one thing he plays. He plays fucking ball games. He is not one of these dudes that's like, oh, I'm missing thirty games. No, he's out on the floor. That year that Steph got hurt and they tanked and got the fucking second pick, he played what, like seventy something games that year. Dude plays. Um and he plays hard and he he is intense. But like he what I like about him, and this can 
again, this we've seen this happen when a game gets to that when it, when the intensity of a game reaches that high pitched level, he is like he matches the intensity. It is never too big for him. Sometimes he's too big for it, uh, which we have seen again. But like I think I think they need that because we saw that that game seven they had. They were not ready for it. They were not ready for that moment. I thought it got the best of them. And, like, it's fine. They're a young team. I'm not even really criticizing them. It's a very young team. I think the only guy that even had playoff experience, really, was, what, Sabonis of their main dudes. Like, it happens. But there's two sides to this that are is great for them. One, I think Draymond gives you something in those games, in those moments, that can help your team significantly because he's been in so many big games in so many big moments. You know, he's experienced everything you can experience as a player, right? He's been a champion. He's been on a tanking team. He's been on fucking, he's been on a team that slowly built up. He's, he's done everything. He's had every, every experience. And the other part of it, which is huge, you are directly weakening a conference and division rival. Like you're taking talent away from your competition. And it's, and look, what we just said about Draymond is irrepla- irreplaceable. He is an irreplaceable player. Like, I don't feel that way. The only, I feel that way about Steph, and I do feel that way about Draymond. I don't feel that way about Clay. Clay's amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Dr- Dre is, Draymond is not as much a, 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 a part of the system as Steph is, which is impossible to be. Right. But he's much closer to Steph than he is to Clay. Yeah. Like, he is that far above. I mean, let's be real. Like, Clay Thompson was never one of the three no. most important players on any of those title teams ever. Um, not a single one of them. Iggy, Draymond, Steph in 2015. Wiggins. And then, 20, and then yeah, Wiggins, Dr- Wiggins, Draymond, and Steph in 2022. And then put KD in there with Draymond. Uh, and I Steph. thought you were going to say Looney, Eight. not KD. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing I, I want to touch on the thing you said about the big moments because you know Draymond's another one like Marcus Smart like it's just so hard to watch him it's so it's because when when I'm like when our, have, when there are series when I'm rooting against the Warriors I hate Draymond but when I'm rooting like there are series when I'm rooting for the Warriors I'm like this guy's fucking awesome love him yeah. <laughs> it's just there's such a discrepancy. Between, and I know it's weird to say because the Warriors, oh, they don't shoot a lot of free throws and they give up a lot of free throws. And it's like, yeah, why do you think? But he gets away with <laughs> so much at the rim. That dude, like things that aren't aren't fouls for him, it's just, but anyways. It's because he plays with so much force, seven, though. He, game, just, game, he just plays with a force. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it's so, it's, it's infectious. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. It's, no, I agree. I agree. It's frustrating yeah. to watch for as a yeah. neutral fan. But to go back to your point about the big moments. 2016 game seven. Oh man. That game. Yeah. yeah. That game. And, and people, I mean, nobody forgets that he was suspended for game five. Obviously, that's all anyone talks about because people, you know, whatever. But you're suspended for game five and you get blown out in game six and Steph gets tossed. And Draymond comes out and plays that game. And the thing I will always remember until I, I stop remembering things or I'm gone or whatever <laughs> is that Kevin, the, the Kevin Love, stop possession is Steph Curry. First of all, the Warriors did, didn't call timeout after uh, the Kyrie shot after the, yeah, yeah, they they don't call timeout after the Kyrie shot and Steph comes down and Draymond and Iguodala see 
that that uh, that the Cavs aren't going to let Kevin Love go to Steph Curry, which is what the Warriors are trying to do. And so Draymond points for Iguodala, who is who the the Cavs are trying to hide Kevin Love on, to go set a screen off the ball because the Cavs were switching everything. And so what happened was when when Iguodala set a sc- screen off the ball. Kevin Love had to switch that screen, and the Cavs were ill-prepared to then switch the next screen when that person went and set a screen for Steph on the ball. So first of all, that was max intelligent just in the moment to understand how do we get Kevin Love on Steph Curry. That was just, to me, that blows my mind that they just thought of that in the moment, but whatever. And then Steph Curry struggles to beat Kevin Love off the bounce, and he sees Barnes open in the corner. And Draymond Green sort of intercepts the pass. You're having the game of your life. You have a chance to be the ultimate hero after being suspended in game five. And Draymond Green just says, fuck that, dude. Like, And he just whips the ball back to Steph Curry. And he's like, dude, this is your team. Win us this game right now. And to me, that says everything about Draymond Green. That he had the wherewithal and the humility, which is not a word you would assign with Draymond Green, but to have the humility to say, no, like, this isn't Harrison Barnes's team. This isn't, I don't, I know I have 32 points right now. This isn't my team. This is fucking your team, dude. Go win us this game. And he just like intercepted the pass and passed it back to Steph Curry to keep that mismatch. I just, that will always stick with me because that is a winning basketball player. And that's more than anything, that's what Draymond Green is. That's, yeah, he's, if you can get that guy on your team, that's, you go and get that guy. So to bring this back to your original question, if the Kings can get him with that cap space, you fucking it. go and get yeah, him. Yeah, you just fucking get him. I think he'd yeah. be awesome there. I would love, I'm like excited to watch him pass up a layup to go run a dribble handoff with like Malik Monk. I'm sure that'll be a very fun experience for all of us. Um, all right. We can't believe we've been doing this this long. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on at the last minute. It was a really big help and uh, it was very good to talk to you again. Let's move on where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I love doing this. Uh, I continue to be in the short term, Frank Barrett, 11, nine. I'm probably going to switch before the season oh, starts. Wow. Just make my handle something. I think we're going to retire it both. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I will definitely retire it if RJ gets traded. I hope that doesn't happen. But, um, you know, I, I started this account with no intention of doing anything with it. You know, it was just a way to get, get away from the cesspool that is Twitter outside of, outside of basketball conversations. And, you know, I probably at this point, I'm doing so many things associated with the Twitter account. There's still people who call me Frank, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I should probably get away from that. But for now, my Twitter account, uh, account is still Frank Barrett 11, nine. Uh, I'll always plug the Strickland. Great stuff. Prez did awesome draft work. If you're at all interested in the draft, check that out. Um, I have a couple other things that I'm writing for. I'm writing for uh, invention of dreams, a movie site. I do reviews for them. They've got a podcast with Andrew Claudio of KFS and uh, Bernard. They do great work. And then now I'm writing for uh, Carolina HQ, which is just a uh, uh, a media company dedicated to North Carolina sports of all kinds. I just put out an article today about uh, Leaky Black, who is one of the most frustrating players I've had to root for at North Carolina in a long time. But it was not his fault, and I detail that in today's article. And then lastly, I want to say that, to bring it back to Strickland, 
Uh, I'm going to write an article, or excuse me, I have written an article. I'm going to put out an article, put out an article about why I think it would be a major mistake if the Knicks just stood pat and tried to go into this season with the same core as last season, um, which I'm sure is kind of polarizing, but I detail my opinion and why I think that would be bad for the Knicks long-term. So look for that coming out soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I have nothing to plug myself personally, so I'm going to plug, again, like Jeff said, all the great work that the draft guys did, Prez, uh, fucking even Tyrese sometimes. Everybody over there, that crew, uh, Stacy. So they did really great work, even though the Knicks didn't make a pick. Uh, if you're interested in the draft at all, definitely still check out the stuff they put out because it was very, very good. Um, I will also plug uh, just the general work on the site, pods, everything. Um, shit is still out there, so check it out. Uh, other than that, I got nothing. So I hope everybody has a great weekend. I hope everybody enjoys this week of unending slop that we are about to get uh, just constant, constant rumors and tidbits. This is unsarcastically the most fun and my favorite part of the NBA calendar. Uh, I enjoy this very much. Uh, so I hope everybody else enjoys it. And uh, yeah, again, have a great weekend and I'll see you on Monday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.